0: This is Shar. I'll give you a hand. Commander Shar, it's me, Lieutenant Dorota, formerly under Captain Garma's command. I don't care. Aim for the cockpit. The cockpit? The belly. The pilot is inside the gun. Damn!
1: Welcome back to the. Episode 12 of Gundam and MHQ, uh, another show-killing episode. We know most of you guys don't mind it, but uh, we were trying to keep them down a little bit, but there's just too much good stuff to talk about right now in Mechaland. Yeah. And uh, the, in, this, in this episode, uh, we're going to be covering, finally be covering our thoughts of uh, Code Geass. We're actually going to have two segments, the first part being kind of an overview and some of our thoughts of Season 1, and the second part being... Uh, some of our speculations some of our thoughts of what's going to happen in season two Um, talking about uh, where you can find it uh, in America this year and then going over some of the uh, uh, voice actors that they picked for the English dub so and then rounding out the last segment with uh, a Gundam related topic which would be uh, going down the various Gundam directors minus uh, Tamino, and then following it up with uh, kind of a wish list of some people that we'd like to see do some Gundam shows. But before we can start off any Gundam and MHQ, oh no, we must have the the best segment there is. Neo's news. Breaking news!
0: Breaking news! Break,
1: breaking news! Breaking news! Breaking news! But uh, actually, got some really good stuff this week. Um, and the, fir- the first one is, and these news items are always cur- courtesy of Gonoda or Ganata, Um But this is one of the, uh, the first story I have here is something that everybody, uh, I think, even us at Gundam have been asking, is uh, why two seasons of 00? There was a column in the Nikkei uh, Evening Edition that points out the, a merit of um, the two-season approach that's being used right now in 00 and Code Geass. Uh, the first one is with any Sunrise show is going to be plaw Models and other merchandise can still be sold during the break period. Excellent. And uh, the other one, and I think this is something that will probably help um, Solbro Bro, because he's always complaining about this stuff, but would be uh, DVD sales can gain additional momentum from the people wanting to review the show before the second season starts, which makes a lot of sense, uh, especially if you kind of get into the show halfway and you know, uh, it's it, it's a little bit hard to catch up to episode forty two, yeah. While they're going in succession, than it is to oh, they they went up to episode twenty five, and there is not going to be another one for about three four months. Great, bu- no problem. It builds anticipation, and absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, there is no truer statement than that. So, I think it's I think it's genius.
2: Absence of Saji Crossroads. That's yes. right. That's right. My heart is pounding. When and his return,
1: probably this, and then this is something that I am glad they the. um a lot of these anime companies have finally realized it's and it's a claim by Sunrise, and and I would agree with them would be uh, better quality animation. Uh, I think we all have seen uh, examples of shows that uh, Run out get really reduced quality in animation halfway through their runs. So uh, and the uh, that article actually. Um, reiterated that the second season of Gundam Double O will begin airing in October again. As we're recording this episode right now, uh, episode twenty-five just debuted the day before, so we're actually at the end point right now. So, and a little bit more uh, Gundam Double O uh, news. We hadn't had any ratings in a while, but still going strong. Uh, episode twenty-four had a five-point-four rating, making it the tenth most-watched uh, anime in uh, in Japan that nice. week. So.
2: It's in the top 10.
1: Yes. It's going strong. So, And and in addition, our next story here, kind of a good tie-in with our episode this week. There is an official site for a Code Geass and Gundam 00 Budokan summer event. And it will be a two-day summer event taking place on August 16th to 17th at the famous Nippon Budokan Arena. Uh, The highlights will include a special TV compilation of the TV series done from a new perspective. That'll be kind of interesting. That's cool. Um, performances by some of the show's voice actors and a concert uh, gathering by the opening and ending theme artists, I guess, of both shows. Um, and, of course, uh, great incentive to go to this is there going to be limited edition goods that will be only available there and on eBay later on wow. and, a of, uh, <laughs> and a variety of booths related to uh, the two animes. So any, any folks out there that are going to be uh, in Japan in August, uh, definitely go and check that out. So, Way to go, Sunrise. Yeah. Capitalize. and uh, can do,
0: can, Speaking of capitalizing. Yes.
1: <laughs> and continuing on with the Blu ray revolution, it's been announced that there's, uh, all the MS Igloos are going to be on Blu ray. And uh, in Hobby Japan, they announced that MS Igloo 2, Gravity of the Battlefront, will be uh, released shortly. The setting of the story will be on Earth and from the point of view of the Earth Federation forces. The format is given us three 30-minute episodes in high definition. Uh, the 3D CGI will be of higher quality than seen in the previous production, and the staff is largely the same uh, through the mecha designers behind the design works. And the super high detail designs will appear in the UC hard graph line and will be also and be used, in, used as in the animation. So the official site that they put up is ww msiglu2.net. Awesome. And that'll be open up on the 25th of April. And just like the, like I said, also the previous uh, installments of of MS Igloo will be going on Blu-ray released in Japan um, August 22nd for The Hidden One-Year War September 26th for Apocalypse 0079 so. Let
0: me go in and spoil that right now uh, for anybody who's getting their hopes up What's up? Even though of course um, Japan is the same Blu-ray region as America for whatever reason, neither of these Blu-rays will have English subtitles from the specs that I've seen on CD Japan, so uh, usually, I've not known CD Japan to be wrong, so if they're saying no subtitles, probably no subtitles, which wouldn't surprise me. So thanks a lot, Bandai. It's really <laughs> foolish. We're not
2: going to get any Blu ray versions of any anime out here for a while, anyway. Probably not. I guess
0: not. I guess we suck. Okay. So. And
1: continuing in the. Uh, Gundam and MHQ selfless pandering of Gundam games, Uh, Famitsu had an article uh, covering the Gundam Operation Troy. Now, what is this? Uh, What game is this? Because I don't remember really... Touching upon this before, this I was trying to. S- this, oh, I'm sorry. This is
0: the eternally delayed 360 game that's being released in America as okay. also Mobile Ops: The One Year War. Okay. For this. Basically, the uh, basically it's the Battlefield ripoff.
1: Okay. That's
2: what I, I. That's what I bought a 360 for two years ago. Yeah. Well, I bought it for that raised game, and I, I'm glad to see it's finally coming out.
1: Well, they got uh, the Famitsu had some coverage about the game single and multiplayer modes. Uh, in this, in the single player, there are about ten different. Uh, type of missions that follow the stories of either faction. Of course, uh, the first one is the Air Federation mission starts off having the player defend Southeast Asia awesome. from an attack by the uh, Zeon's third landing operation. So it's basically the 00808 uh, MS team. That's cool. One uh, afterwards, you'll fight in places like uh, Odessa, and then if you choose the Zeon, um, the Zeon faction. The game's going to begin with the capture of the California base during the second landing operation.
2: That is pretty cool.
1: But um, this is kind of cool. There's going to be a multiplayer mode, and there's team battles are going to be divided up into assault, compete, which is basically compete for kills with uh, another player within a specific time limit. And conquest is uh, you know basically capture the flag. You fight for control of three neutral points on the map. And uh, there's a survival mode like there is on all, all these um all these type of games oh, that's so this is nice though voice chat will be uh, will be supported heck yes, and uh, the enabled uh, mss can be set before the matches begin, so I guess if you have some stuff that 's powered up or you know you created a mobile suit it doesn 't i don't know if they have a mobile suit creator on this, but if you can use your powered up uh, mobile suits on that and uh, last couple news stories here is uh, what 's uh, the continuing theme of what, what's what's a day in Japan without a Gunpla Expo. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be a, uh, there's the upcoming uh, Gunpla Expo in Nagoya. Nagoya. And that'll be from April 25th to May 11th. And it'll be held at Nagoya's uh, Parko Parko Gallery. And as in previous years, the, Gund- the Expo will be divided up into various zones. And there will be limited edition Gunpla. There is a 160 Gundam Exia clear color version. That's, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, the M- a MS or the MG Zaku 2 version 2.0 re- real type color specs. I don't know what that is. And then there's going to be a metallic version of a high grade Gundam Exia. And uh, what is the Ryubu Gundam? Ryuba. Probably
0: some SD thing. Because they always have those Sengoku didn't things. Yeah.
1: So once again, if you are um, fortunate enough to be in Japan during those times, uh, check it out. And last, this is actually, uh, I actually found this not a, a few days ago when I was looking for some articles and I actually posted this on the Mecca Talk forums because I thought it was kind of interesting. I was hoping to um, get to this. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know. In, in the US, you always hear people talk about government waste on projects. <laughs> um, I'm kind of split on this one. It's like, I'd be, it is kind of wasteful, but it's not, but it's kind of cool in the same uh, same aspect, but the TBS News had video of the unveiling of a Gundam monument at mm. the Kamegusa train station. Awesome! It is a three-meter-tall statue that took two years to create at the cost of 20 million yen, with about two million of that yen coming from government subsidies.
2: I'm all right with that. <laughs>
1: that, <laughs> I, like I said, <laughs> I mean, I, when I read that, that's what got, that's what really jumped out at me. Not the fact that they put a Gundam monument, but just the fact that. That mobile dollars. suit Gundam has infiltrated that society so much and is so part of everyday society that they have no problem that government subsidies are going to create a a monument at a train station. I haven't seen. Of, uh, but
0: but but wait the the agriculture ministry is not in charge of Gundam. They
1: are not in charge of it, and I guess they probably didn't give the subsidies for this either.
0: I guess it was not the agriculture ministry; it was the the, the, the transport ministry.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the linear train industry or whatever
2: i haven't heard of any kind of um any kind of statue being funded of uh of Luke or Darth Vader or um or the Enterprise yeah. man by, it, by the government Literally, you know, yeah it,
1: it does that does yeah that is interesting Be a better and if you ever do a better g-
0: way of spending money than the way we spend money on everything here, so yeah, <laughs> at the least so
1: I guess it's in the Tsuganami uh, ward of Tokyo, and that's where uh, I guess Sunrise is headquartered, and the train station is home to more than seventy different animation studios in that area, so I guess that's wow. basically the gateway to the animation region of Tokyo. Good to know. And uh, if you go to uh, Gundam.info, Gundam. they have some <laughs> photo reports <laughs> of the event. Mm-hmm. And Do
0: not go to Gundam.info. Uh, yeah. no. Who knows what you'll see? No. You'll find nothing.
2: <laughs> you'll find the page cannot you'll be displayed. Some, That's what you'll You'll have done. some
1: double O <laughs> yaoi or something. But, um, yeah, if if you go and check that out, because I, I looked at it, Un- unfortunately, Gundam.info isn't all in Japanese, but they have a lot of great pictures. Uh, the old bald wizard himself was there at the uh, oh, unveiling. He
2: was looking like a proud papa, too. You look at his face. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like you just birthed a child, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and for all and for all you fans out there it is the rx 78 because unfortunately the the oregano outside of uh japan that's still the or outside of japan nobody knows about that suit but uh in japan that's still like the the end all be all suit and uh, it's basically just kind of in an act it looks like it's in the part where um when he was in a coup and he about shot up or something not necessarily but he was kind of pointing up to a little bit yeah it looks uh, like he's Looks like he's reaching up. It's and, a br- it's a brown like probably bronze statue. It almost reminded me of the Michael Jordan statue in front of uh, say, the United looks, Center.
2: Looks like he's about to dunk, man. Yeah, it it's does. Like, like he's so. like Sean
1: Kemp. But uh <laughs> Sean Kemp reference, Mike. Hey, God. I, gotta, I gotta pull that out. Old Magic out. player reference. Oh. oh, oh but but um, um
2: most of the news that's brought to you by on Neo's news is brought to you by Ganota, which is um a e u
1: and just to finish up, um, just to finish up that last story, um, I guess the president of Sunrise was there. Uh, the head of Sugunanami Ward was there. Uh, the Kamagusa Shopping District's board chairman and the president of uh, Cebu Railway was, uh, was also there. So I mean, it had a lot of heavy hitters out there. So, but um, like always, like Solbro said, this is all courtesy of Gonada or Gonoda. And that's a wrap on the news. And we will be back in a little bit with uh, the first section of Code Geass. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. He'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me until I come over.
2: He'll make me feel guilty. This is uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. with I'll go. God damn it! Striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well then, Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com. Our call Call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at twenty less than retail daily 20% that's right Frank 20% Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 730 p.m. Eastern Standard Time you even find them open most holidays so if you're local stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business tell them Gundam and MAHQ sent you
0: son of a bitch, I'm right behind you. Turn around and ask me for a with cheese, yo. Why you gotta make me feel inferior because I'm on the grill, B? Damn.
2: You're listening to the show with more spark than a new type convention. That's right. Gundam at MAHQ. (laughs) And in this first segment, we're going to be talking about the long-awaited topic of Code Geass, Lelouch of of the Rebellion. And we're going to be, um, in this first segment, we're going to be reviewing Season 1 and all the uh, all the exciting events that play- took place, and just um, talking about the show as a whole, and uh, giving our opinions on a lot of things that happened in it, and, and we'll, we'll just go from there. But um, anyway, uh, Season 1 uh, started over a year and a half ago, I'd have to say. Uh, it, it was in... Uh, what was it in March? October. It was October. It was, it was the October of oh six.
0: Fall of oh yeah. six. Fall of oh six.
2: It came out before Double O, but it it, it, it kind of ended uh, in March of oh mm-hmm. seven, and then um, it, at what episode twenty three, and then twenty five. Yeah. Oh then, yeah. Yeah. And then they, uh, a couple months later, they finally um, aired twenty four and twenty five back to back. After and um, it just it slowly through its run, it just started to capture the attention of the audiences in Japan. Even in a, it was Even in a late here. night time slot, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And um, it just captured the audiences of Japan, and before you knew it, it became an overnight success. It just it had a lot of things going for it—a fresh take on a lot of old old character types. Uh, they they took a situation and, and flipped a lot of characters' roles in it. Um, you had, of course, Pizza Hut per, per, um, permeating the whole whole series.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they support the revolution. Food of the
2: revolution. They, they, they support yeah. the revol. They support the rebellion, and um, it was. It was just a treat to watch. I just finished watching it not too long ago, and um, I just was completely enamored when I was watching the show. I, I heard a lot about it from Chris and Neo, and I just couldn't believe how good it was And while I'm watching it, and I, I feel like a fool for
1: waiting so long. Yeah, I just watched it again for the second time not too long ago, too. Man. So.
0: By the way, uh, before we start getting into all the specifics, uh, I should give out the ginormous disclaimer of, if you haven't seen season one yet... uh yeah.
2: You probably, probably skipped skip most, most of this, of this episode, episode. <laughs> for that. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but um, if, if if you don't mind so much, you want to get a brief overview. I'm sure we won't go go into everything that happened, but we yeah. will be getting into the major the major events that happened leading up to the cliffhanger ending of season one. And I guess we'll start with the beginning where uh, they the show as you get into it describes the state of the world, um, and pretty much it takes place in the um, early to, early 21st century, which of course we're living in now. Uh, but it's the, an alternate world, though. It's, it, but it's an alternate universe. Yeah. And, and, and Neil, you want to you go into that a little bit? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's just an alternate world of... Uh, they take a historical event, from what I've read, um, that happened in our history when the Roman Empire attacked uh, the British Isles, I think, back in, I don't know, 90 BC or something like that. I think Julius Caesar was the emperor at that time. And in real life, in our time... Uh, the Romans took it over, and they actually people that know for world history, uh, the Romans actually the Roman Empire went up to the British Isles for quite some time. Uh, but in this in the in the world of Code Geass, um, the Brit, the Britons or however you want, to, I don't know what they were called back then, but they um, they defeated the Roman Empire and pushed them back onto the European mainland, and that's where the kind of two paths between our world and and their world kind of diverges so
0: just to throw in a little historical thing uh julius caesar was not an emperor he was uh just a dictator that's
1: right he was still yeah he wasn't in he first
0: the first actual m em- the first actual emperor was his uh nephew caesar augustus aka octavian okay that's right
1: yeah i'm a, I'm a little little rusty on the old world history there
0: <laughs> gotta go back to school son <laughs>
1: I yeah girl, i will shooting. be but not for that <laughs> but um but um yeah so i mean and, and it was kind of cool because you see glimpses throughout when they throughout the show, they show different scenes uh, that happened in the past, and you know, there's still a lot of things that happened that parallels between our world and their world because it looks like World War Two a- or World War One actually happened. Yeah, and you know, did not see any uh, sound of World War Two. Yeah, so I mean, there's still a lot of um, it's still rep, you know parallels our, our our world here, but Britannia just never. Oh, the other thing too is uh, they they settled the uh, American colonies. And the colonies rebelled, but they lost. Yeah, they lost. So, alright. Um, so the and, Americas get swept by the
2: um, the Britannian
1: empire and, and as well. And in, in the opening, like in the opening montage, you see the actual uh, attack forces from uh, that attack Japan actually come out of uh, like Alaska and the West Coast. So that was kind of cool yeah. to see. So, but continue. So, bro, sorry. To oh,
2: you didn't interrupt. To um, drop a. Flash forward to um, now that we have to pretty much have the backstory. Um, in August, on August 10th, 2010, um, Japan, who had remained independent and had managed to remain independent, actually um, the war begins. The Britannia's the Britannian Empire actually starts uh, um, their conquest of Japan by um, raiding the nation and uh, attacking uh, its its military. And the war lasted. Chris how, how long how long how long did the war take it wasn't even much of a war it was like a couple of skirmishes and it was
1: over right It's
0: pretty short because um you know the britannians they were using nightmare frames which of course are robots yeah right and the japanese had conventional weapons
1: that was pretty much the debut of the of the frame in battle too wasn't it it was um that
0: was yes that was the combat debut of the nightmare frame because before that they were just clunky old things right so the um, Glasgow was the first like major mass production functioning nightmare frame so we should probably mention that the whole purpose of this war was that uh, Japan is pretty much the only source of this new uh, material called sakuridite right mm-hmm. which is used to power a lot of equipment including nightmare frames yeah and since they're pretty much obviously Britannia is going to want to get their hands on that yeah they were trying to play hardball with it and Japan pretty much said uh, thanks so then Britannia responded with the uh, Military force. <laughs> we'll take you over. Yep. So,
1: And then the interesting thing is, it seems like every time that um, the Britannian Empire takes over a country or an area, they they basically just strip it of everything. The nightmares are too much for regular tanks and the Japanese military, and they become what's called Area 11. So the these, this country of Japan is not called Japan anymore. It's called Area 11, and people of Japanese descent are now just called 11s and basically treated as Second third cla- class citizens third class citizens exactly so. and
2: they're living in um third world third world um kind of poverty at this point
1: if you're not not to some parts some yeah. parts
2: of it yeah those who living in the ruined parts of japan that were ruined by the war itself like um ironically shinjuku and um, a lot of it got completely trashed, and you yeah. see that in the first episode of the show. But, uh, but Shinjuku areas- gets
1: trashed in like every anime. Yeah, no doubt. It's kind of like uh, when they when they take an anime to uh, to Europe, and Paris has to get blown up.
0: <laughs> I think pretty much any tower Thank is doomed, you- like Tokyo Tower, Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's a tower, it has to be destroyed.
1: Yeah, t- Tokyo Tower doesn't survive this. Um- This battle, it it survives it, but it's like half the size, and it's actually uh, becomes a museum for the glorious, uh, the glorious victors of Britannia.
2: And ironically, since Clamp drew all the um, character designs for the show, Tokyo Tower is like a staple in all their shows. Oh yeah, I know all their products, and um, it's just weird to see it just wrecked in this show.
0: (laughs) Well, since you mentioned (laughs) Clamp, we should we should probably. Offer up a clarification because there's a lot of <clears throat> confusion and stupidity going around about this. I was one of
2: the I was one of those people where I thought that the show was done by Clamp and it was just going to be, Mm-mm. you know, something on the lines of uh, Ray Earth or something like that, which <laughs> I don't have a problem with. But I don't know. I just didn't think that Mecha just meshed very well. But I was I was proven completely wrong.
0: So here's the thing. Uh, Clamp did the initial character designs, and I put emphasis on original because yeah, uh, they did change a lot of the characters, des- If you look at the early drafts of the character designs, a lot of differences. So, yes, they are in the Clamp style, but even then, you know, for the sake of animation, those character designs were redrawn by somebody else. And then, on top of that, obviously, Clamp had no input in the story, but just there for the character designs. A lot of people be like, I don't want to watch Code Gears, it's Clamp, Uh, Clamp sucks. Ah, sounds like so, No, you... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: Ouch. Oh. No, he wasn't
1: that bad, but he was kind of questioning. It. But there's a lot of people who complain yeah. about this, and it's yeah. like,
0: dude, you don't anybody, you don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, just wanted to clear that up. That Clamp just did the rough designs done by somebody else. They're just there for the names so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, throw in that name Clamp and bring in people, and that's it.
1: So, so basically, it's just like we have during this whole um, the whole. The whole conflict in Japan before Britannia takes over, you get to see two little characters, and they're shown out. and how, Why don't you go into that a little bit, uh, Soul Bro?
2: Well, in the beginning of the show, like in the first opening frames, you actually see uh, two young men, or two boys, around the age of what ten. They're helping each 10 other. Ten or up. eleven, or so. Yeah, exactly. They're just they're barely in. They're barely out of elementary school, and they're helping each other up this. Uh, it's kind of hill. And there's someone, it's like some mysterious kimono person, like off to the side. You can't really see who they they are, but they're observing the boys. And then um, all sorts of all sorts of tragedy happens. I guess um, that you can see like the uh, the invading army coming into mm-hmm. Japan at that point. And then next thing you know, you just see like a montage of shots. And then before you know it, um, you see the two boys um, alongside of you know an area which has been laid to waste by the invading army and uh, are, were they burning bodies
1: yeah they were burning bodies they were burning yeah. bodies
2: like in a pyre because mm-hmm. you know there was so many deaths that went on during that and um the boys are just sitting there and you see us, you see one of the boys a little fair-headed um kind of a brown brown-haired boy and he's um he's just looking sad and the other boys looking angry as all get out mm-hmm. and he swears his he swears vengeance upon Britannia he says he'll take his revenge upon Britannia you don't know why you know, you know, you you get the idea because of the fact that they raided Japan, but you know, you don't really know the reason why yet. But this man, this this young boy at at the age of ten or eleven, just makes that bold statement, and then um, cue the uh, opening the opening theme, and then you get a little montage of all the characters that are in the show, and that character himself is um is actually our lead of the series. His name's Lelouch Lamperouge, and um, if anything, um. Neo, Chris, would y'all want to go into our friend Lelouch?
0: He's he's certainly pretty devious for uh, <clears throat> main character. He's not your, your typical uh, yeah you know main character for robot show because that usually would be someone like his his old elementary school buddy Suzaku Kururugi, who's you know the hopeful, idealistic young guy. And Lelouch is kind of like uh, yeah, you know, this sort of sneaky manipulator. Yeah. That exactly. was the thing.
1: When you first get introduced to him, you, you, you don't know too much about what's going on. But you can tell just by the way he is and his mannerisms as you see him walking around. he's He's kind of quiet. Uh, you know, you, you definitely get the gist that he's intelligent and he, he observes a lot of things, but like you said, he's not, um, he's not that kind of awkward, uh, kind of character. He's got a lot of self-confidence. Uh, you can see that, especially when he start, when later on in that episode, he starts to play chess, uh, with the nobleman yeah. and some of the things that he says and kind of the interaction with all that. And he's doing it to basically to make money. He's a gambler. So, I mean, Rich is, um, throwing the first character type of a of a robot show like this on its head. And on top of that you, know.
2: you can see he's an alpha male. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight. But he wants to pull the springs. He definitely wants someone to pull the strings. I remember the conversation with him and his um his friend um Rivals, who um or is it Revolves? Revolves. Uh, either way. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever yeah. floats my boat. Hopefully it doesn't seem. He's sink. not that important. But, um, no, he, he had a conversation with him at the beginning. He's,
0: he's Saji Crossroad. That's what he is. Yeah. Oh, pretty much. yeah. Pretty
2: much. My
1: man Rivals. My
0: man Rivals. Oh, God. Here we go again. <laughs> Why did I say that?
2: Not, not another I'm not, threat. I'm not, I'm not wild about Rivals right. like I am on my man Saji. But, uh, no, he, Rivals has a conversation with him earlier on in the show when they're riding back from that chess game. Um, and he brings up the fact that uh, – that you, you do do you want to be a CEO or corporate CEO or something in the future? And you know, Lelouch says, no, he doesn't want to have a job like that. He'd rather just, you know, he'd rather just run things from behind the scenes. And, yeah. You know, he just alludes to that. And sure enough, uh, Fate takes, um, Fate throws a monkey wrench his way when um, they almost run off the road by a kind of a speeding truck mm-hmm. that has a uh, a special cargo on board. And it's it's you can tell it's been stolen by these two individuals that are driving the truck. Right. Uh, one of them is a, a young girl with red hair, and you don't really get to see her face because the, the the brim of cap is kind of hiding it. And then the other guy's driving the car, and uh, be, before you know, it, they're being chased by the military, and um, they almost hit L- L- Lelouch and rivals, and they have to ride, they have to run off the road, and they crash. They don't crash really bad; They just crash enough to stop the truck. And Lelouch does something, you know. Kind of foolish, but you know. At the same time, he's kind of drawn to the accident because he sees a hallucination of a figure that's kind of floating above the of the truck. So he uh, he goes over to the truck and he he tries to um, to help the people inside, and their airbags bags deploy, and he can't really wake him up yet. So um, he gets on top of the truck, and before you know it, they come to. They back the truck up, and he falls inside the opening on the top inside the truck, where he sees it's kind of a bomb casing inside, not knowing exactly what it is. And um, he has to hide because once the truck gets back on the road, uh, the girl who was in the in the in the front passenger seat walks through the back of the truck and gets inside of a uh, a mobile suit. Well, their 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 world's mobile suit, which is the nightmare. And um, when you guys want well, it to get because
1: work- she had to get in there because once they come to and they start going the truck again, they, you find out that they're getting chased by like the police forces. So mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so she gets out and takes out a couple of the helicopters and they basically where do they go down to the one of the tunnels, Chris, uh, the old subway tunnels through there. And they're trying to make a getaway.
0: Yeah, and they're going to uh to the ghetto areas that are ruined because should mention that see the, the Britannians they have this colony that they live in that's sort of like built on stilts above, you know, the ruins of like Tokyo and all these areas. So they you know, the Britannians they live in this nice shining new area with like fancy railway and, you know, fancy everything and Pizza Hut and all this stuff and then a lot of japanese people live in like these bombed out yeah
1: tenement buildings ruined ghettos yeah. which is the
0: they're literally they're called ghettos yeah
1: which is kind of interesting because it's the first time you really get to see before you even know how the uh the britannians are you see that they definitely are Conquerors and they don't—they ca- really don't care about the people that they conquered. Because you see the aerial shot of the city, and it, like Chris said, you have a nice brand new city, and then just all wrapped around it is just ruins. And yeah, they
0: grind them under their boot. Yeah, basically.
1: And uh, you find that out later why, because. That's kind of the, the you know the the motto of the Britannian Empire. You know, sh- strong crush the weak.
2: Manifest destiny, apparently.
1: But um, yeah. So they get in that. Of uh, basically, they're going through the tunnels. Uh, the truck. Um, you know, the girl Callan, is. You, you find out her name, mm-hmm. and she's fighting the other mobile suits um, because the police forces are taken back uh, because they We find out that. There's some type of military secret in there, so they bring in the military. Yep. And that's when we're introduced with some of the other characters. Isn't that when Jeremiah? Jeremiah and, and Valletta and, show up. That's when they show up, and too. The piloting, so. um,
0: Jeremiah, a.k.a. Jared Messa. Yes. yes. There you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> the future Jared Messa.
2: <laughs> the future Jared
0: for the 21st century,
2: <laughs> he's um he's piloting a suit called the Sutherland, which um is the sixth generation,
1: um, pretty much the current frame. version of the nightmare. Exactly.
0: Fifth generation. Oh, is it the fifth generation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the sixth generation is the lost generation. Yeah.
1: Oh. And very it's, true. the seventh is the Lancelot.
2: The seventh is the Lancelot, right? Yeah. So, um, and on top of that, we forgot to mention that Callan, she pilots an actual red mobile suit. She pilots the um, it's a Glasgow, the, Ga- the Glasgow, yeah. And um, it's an it's an older mobile suit. It was the what the fourth generation,
0: fourth generation nightmare frame. Yeah, it's yeah. the
2: one
1: that conquered
2: conquered Japan yeah. basically. And um, she pilots that, and she's she's pretty good. She's very good actually. She's just she's outmanned by you know the the forces that are there to to stop them in the truck. So she can't really cover the truck all that well. So the truck has to take cover in the subway. Um by taking the subway route.
1: And the truck's going through the subway tunnels Mm -hmm. and finally just gets, it crashes into something. Runs out of road. It runs out of road. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when um, we see like a lone soldier I guess part of the a party a scout party, and he's got like he's all covered up and yeah, everything he looks like, like that. He looks like
2: saw the snake at the beginning of military. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, and they locate the truck, and then of course they call in the other forces. And in the meantime, that's when um, Lelouch is uh, inside the truck. He's got tossed all around, and um, that's doesn't. I forget how how does the container open? It just opened up, didn't it?
2: It uh it opened, hit it opened something. It opened up because um the driver of the truck
0: It just yeah. I think it just opened up by yeah. I
2: think the driver of the truck hit a button to open it up. I think he did. I he grabbed a console or something. But it, it, it doesn't matter. It it opened up.
0: Well before that before before that I believe is when when Luch encounters Solid Snake who goes all solid snake on him. Very yeah. true. And then we discover shockingly solid Snake is his old friend right. exactly. Exactly. Who he hasn't seen in you know seven years since the invasion, and which right. is
2: wild because if those don't notice at the beginning of the show, this 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 um, Suzaku the uh, the Solid Snake we're referring to, he's very agile and he's he's he knows how to fight. I mean, yes. um, I, I was reminded of that later on the show. He's
0: doing jump kicks. Yeah. He, hits,
2: he hits Lelouch with like a forty hit combo, yeah. like while he's still afloat.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does,
2: and, and it's like then he then he knocks Lelouch, Lelouch you know across the inside of the truck. And then, um, as they're duking it out, you know, L- Lelouch is telling him, um, if you want to make a difference, you know, fight against Britannia, you don't fight for them. And mm-hmm. then he takes off his mask, and then, you know, they re- you know, the big reveal it's this old boy. He hasn't seen in seven years, not since the um, the events unfolded when Japan was invaded. Right. And, um, you know, they have this little brief reunion, and then next thing you know, they think that the, the thing that up, uh, Suzaku was informed that the bomb inside the truck was poison gas. Poison gas yeah. So he had a gas mask on, and as soon as that bomb started to let off, as soon as the case started to open mm-hmm. up, he grabbed his gas mask, pu- gas mask, and put it on Lelouch's arm, on his face. You know, it just goes to show what kind of guy he is. Where he'll he'll sacrifice himself for someone else. And you know, he quickly put the gas mask on Lelouch's face and brought him down to the ground. But it turns out to be a false alarm because inside the container is a is a, is a mysterious girl in a straitjacket mm-hmm. with long green hair and she awakens and um and it's funny um actually when he when Lelouch got on the truck earlier on when it after it crashed when he got on top of the truck he heard a voice that told him I found you a female's voice right. said I finally found you after all this time and that's when the truck took off and he fell inside he wondered where that voice came from but he heard it more inside his mind than he heard with his ears now we know what the source of the voice was <laughs> and the in the in the hallucination that he saw on top of the truck when he ran over to it in the first right. place and it's this girl that was inside this chamber the entire time. And then that's when
1: these soldiers come in. Yeah, the I guess the squadron that um, Suzuku contacted. So, and then they start going through like an interrogate, you know, they're asking him an interrogation process to get how what happened. And they're telling him that they're going to have to kill the soldiers. The head of the soldiers is sitting there saying he's going to have to kill Lelouch and that he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, that. Um, When Suzuku hears that, he starts kind of pleading to that commanding soldier. And uh, in classic Britannia fashion, as you start to find out, uh, as Suzuku turns around and is looking at um, uh, Lelouch, the guy, the commander, sits there and shoots him in the back, back, basically, by the kidneys.
0: Well, he's okay with that because... um Suzaku is what they call an honored Britannian. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just an honorary Britannian citizen, but that just means that he's considered to be slightly less scum yep. than other Elevens.
1: Yeah.
2: Basically, basically, he's an Uncle Tom. Yeah. I said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm well, sorry, I but mean, I mean it's... for those who, for those who are familiar with the term, although uh, although although there's a lot of admiral aspects to him, uh, he a lot of a lot of um. A lot of the Japanese that, you know, are unfortunate enough to be, you know, grounded to the dirt and live in the ghettos, they see him like that. So, but don't use the wrong methods. Yeah, yeah. pretty much.
1: So, so, he, <laughs> so what? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, he's, uh, and then Lelouch is shocked because he sees that, you know, Britannia once again is just killing the weak. And, you know, he's, th- I guess he thinks at that point, Suzuka is killed or at least uh, definitely hurt bad because. You know, he doesn't even move or anything.
2: Now we didn't mention this before, but Lelouch is, Lelouch is actually a um a citizen of Britannia, right? As opposed, as opposed right. to his best friend, so, who was actually born in. Yeah, he's in Japan, a Britannian citizen you know, going and, and, in his school, and yeah. it's ironic because when um. When um, Suzaku was pleading his case with his commander, he was telling him, "He's like, look, this mm-hmm. is an actual student of, you know, in a in a in a in a citizen of Britannia, and he just happened to get mixed up in this nonsense. It's not his fault that he's here." And his his commander insists that he shoots him dead anyway. Yeah. And you know, Suzaku takes a stand. It's like, no, I'm not going to do this. He's so. Like, and then you know he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming, and he gets shot. So he exactly. gets shot,
1: and then they then the commanding officer puts his uh, gun sights on Lelouch. And next thing you know, as he's about to shoot, uh, the mysterious little girl jumps up and gets gets one right straight in the dome. Yeah. And uh, as you know, and then Balooch is like just beside himself because he can't believe what's going on. Um, you know, here they shot his friend. Here they shot this girl for no reason. And then she kind of reaches out to him, and all of a sudden he just gets put into like this kind of mysterious dream state. Yeah. And uh voice tells him about, you know, do you, do you want to live? I, I I got a power for you that can help you uh you know, achieve what you want to achieve. And so you can uh, live as a human, but you will yeah. be different. Yeah. You know, so, at this point on. Of course like he enters the, he, he enters the contract and um now he's bestowed with something that we don't really know at that point is but it's called the Gias. and uh I guess what was it afterwards? He he kind of figures it out immediately. I guess yeah. as you get the power, you kind of know what you can do with it, and uh, then he subconsciously,
2: um, you know, you know, you know what the basics are, mm-hmm. and you know you can use it, you know. But actually, the master to found all the details of it. Take practice and um, just knowing how to actually
1: utilize it. And then through, he's through, through, through repeated usings sitting there speaking with the commanding officer, and he's got kind of the revelation of what he can do, and then he. Uh, drops a thing of uh, Lelouch what is it V or D was it V Britannia or D Britannia his name V, v. he commands them to uh, kill themselves and which they happily do and <laughs> the funniest
0: they all put their guns <laughs> they all put their guns up on their freaking necks and they're all like yes my, my lord, lord. <laughs> the <boom. laughs>
1: and the funniest the best part of that scene was his face as you see the blood fly you don't really see them that necessarily shoot but you see him, you see the front picture or the front view of uh, Lelouch. He you see blood fly and he's just got kind of this look like, Oh damn, this is gonna be pretty handy <laughs> The the look on his face is like someone popped a balloon. <laughs> so
2: And then he smiles all, all 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 devilishly with all this carnage laying around him. Yeah. Bodies of these soldiers, bodies of these Japanese people that just got mowed down, including a baby, mm-hmm. the body of the girl that just, you know, protected him and you know, he's just you know, he's he couldn't be he's
1: happier than the pig and you know what? And <laughs> with with because of this event now the military's in the Shijuku area and i guess they're basically given orders to to you know kill everything in sight and to get the you know get the special cargo back yeah actually actually um
0: and the order I we should mention is mm-hmm. commanded by Prince Clovis who is in charge of Japan he's uh
2: Prince Clovis right
0: what was he? i think he was the third prince yeah of britannia cuz there's a there's a line of succession right and mm-hmm. you know the higher up you are, the more important. So he basically just tells him, like, you know, eradicate the Shinjuku Ghetto. I don't care about those damn 11s. And, um, exactly. yeah, you know, to speed into massive spoiler territory, uh, you know, Lelouch manages to use the Geass to sneak all the way into the uh, sort of like mobile command base where Clovis is at and get past all the security dressed up as a Solid Snake himself. And has a nice little confrontation with him.
2: That's right after um, he's, able to, um, he's able to wrangle the control of the um, – Yeah. He's able to help the uh, resistance cell to um, fight back yeah. and use them as like pawns in the chess game. He,
0: he uh, uses the geas on this uh, woman, Valletta and gets her, uh, her Sutherland, and he helps out this resistance by giving them orders. But basically the way he's doing it is it's kind of interesting since he's shown to play chess. He's looking at the mm-hmm. battle like it's a chess game. And having yeah. everyone move like their chess pieces, but he wins, and then actually
1: calling them. Yeah,
0: he calls them chess pieces. P1,
1: P1, yeah,
2: Q1, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So you know, then he gets in, and he, he's you know having this confrontation with Clovis at gunpoint, and we find out that Clovis is Lelouch's brother, so therefore half brother, half brother. So Lelouch is part of the uh, Britannian royalty, and uh, basically uh, Lelouch caps him yeah. for revenge. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Like after after he uses them to his um to his advantage, he splits his wig, and then pretty much. <laughs> and um, you don't you don't kind of get confirmation to that until kind of Lelouch wakes up in school. He falls asleep during like um a student council meeting because he's he's vice president of the student council at his private school, which is um Ashford Acad- Academy. And um, he wakes up, and then um as he's just dealing with his classmates, and you get kind of acquainted with them. Um, he thinks back to that moment where he um he makes that pivotal decision to uh kill his brother and yeah. and then it's funny cuz right after he remembers that fact you see him swallowing up his own his his own vomit cuz you know he's about to throw up and he holds it down it's like ugh. Mm-hmm. it's like cuz he the, the thought of it sickens him but at yeah. the same time you know it's something he's been wanting to do for so yeah. long
0: so this so, sort uh, of
2: it shows you how complicated he is
0: sort of starts to reveal you know Lelouch's objective is uh he wants revenge on the Britannian Royal Family, because his mom was uh, assassinated, she was one of the queens, and uh, his sister was uh, sort of crippled by this attack, and you know now she uh, she 's in a wheelchair and she can 't walk and she 's also blind, yeah so his whole thing is he wants to get revenge and create you know a world where you know she can live happily and isn't you know looked down upon because of the fact that she 's disabled right so that leads us to um, You know, entrance of Sunrise staple number one which is uh, Masked Man Mm -hmm. of course in this uh, mysterious character named Zero he contacts all of these Japanese rebels that Lelouch helped in uh, you know the Shinjuku Ghetto and basically wants to meet with them and of course this mysterious Masked Man is none other than Lelouch and he basically wants to you know begin an organized rebellion against the Britannians Mm -hmm. and uh, they make their debut um, by rescuing Suzaku who was wrongfully blamed for uh, Clovis's assassination. Yep. And uh, that's when uh, Jeremiah, you know, one of the elite pilots, basically gets turned into a Jared. <laughs> yeah. Lelouch uses his gears to make him release uh, Suzaku, who's being, like, publicly paraded down the streets to his execution. And uh, Lelouch just casually drops this comment about orange as a code word, which is something that. Uh, will be linked to Jeremiah's fate for the rest of his life. Yes. So, you know, these mysterious black knights appear. Everybody's wondering who the hell they are, what the hell they're doing. You know, they're starting to build up. They're capturing nightmare frames and repainting them and building an army. And Lelouch is just masterfully manipulating all of these things. And... You know things are going pretty well until a new commander is mm-hmm. sent to uh, Area 11, and that is uh, Princess Cornelia. Cornelia Lee who basically is uh, very feared because of her piloting skills, and uh, she doesn't mess around. So she's there, and uh, you have this whole thing of like Lulush trying to uh, capture her with his Order of the Black Knights, as they're called. Yeah. But unfortunately, he underestimates her because Clovis was a fool and very easy to read and predictable. But um, Cornelia basically is just about as smart as Lelouch is. Yeah, she's
1: very adaptable so he, in her strategies. Very
0: adaptable, and uh, they've tried to have this whole battle, and um, you know Lelouch miscalculated. Mm-hmm. And he thought that she'd be very easy to uh, defeat and capture, but uh, she held her own, and... Um, yeah, they had this battle in the outside of the city of Narita and it sort of was inconclusive. Yeah. You know, some there's some losses on, on both sides. Uh Jeremiah having been uh derisively referred to as orange by all of his uh other pilots, <laughs> basically now down to grunt level. Right. And he gets blasted by the radiation wave of Colin's new uh mecha the Gurren, not to be confused with Gurin Lagan. No. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of gets toasted, and um, you know, Lelouch is sort of continuing his plans for, you know, attacking the Britannians while also managing his school life. Yeah. And there's all sorts of situations where his identity is almost released by such a, things happening, like a cat running around with his mask. Yeah. <laughs> and he's chasing the cat around the school because the cat's got the Zero mask on. Yeah. And Arthur,
2: Arthur. that dumbass cat.
1: And almost uh, the cat that has a taste it. for Suzaku. <laughs> the other time he almost got it was the uh, pizza festival or the school festival where they had the big pizza party. that's
0: that's much later yeah that's much later on though yeah. so uh, you know Suzaku he's in Lelouch's school now and Suzaku is the pilot of the 7th generation prototype nightmare frame Lancelot mm-hmm. it was made by this kooky guy named Lloyd <laughs> and what Lelouch doesn't know because he's, you know, fought against the uh, Lancelot several times and it's a very annoying enemy. He has no idea that Suzaku is the pilot.
1: Yeah, because they're trying to keep that quiet because... Exactly. Uh, yeah,
0: they don't want it to be known. The
1: honorary Britannians. Yeah, they're not allowed to pilot. Yeah,
0: the honorary Britannian yep. is is using their super advanced new mecha. So, you know, you've got these things of, mm-hmm. like, dual identities for everybody. Suzaku's posing as just a, uh, you know, school student. And, um... Yeah, some school drama. This girl who uh, has the hots for Lelouch, Shirley, her dad got killed in Narita as a result of what Lelouch did because he caused a mountain slide to uh, overwhelm the Britannians and it ended up hitting the city and killing her father. Burying him alive. Yeah, yeah burying him alive. So Lelouch uh, is sort of hit by that of the consequence of his actions. There's a great
2: scene at, the, at that funeral where, um, where her mother... It's like you can't bury him again. He he died that way. And she's like, she's like they're lowering the casket into the grave. You know, she's she's like saying that. It just reminds me of like Sopranos or something. It's like, oh man, that's yeah, it's kind of crazy, terrible. And L- and the best part is, Lelouch L- L- is there at the funeral and is seeing all this and he's yeah. soaking it all in. It's like, dude, I mean, I'm glad that he actually got the experience. You know the direct results of his reactions, as opposed to being detached from it in his school life. Instead, it actually crossed over, and I think that's like, the really
1: big first event that crossed over. Yeah, from, but you know what? He didn't, he didn't cry about it for three episodes. Oh no! So hell no! He he sucked it up and uh, went back out to do yeah, it.
0: moved on. Moved on with the plan. Yeah, yeah. He ended
1: up <laughs> with with post haste. <laughs> but what well, uh, and. What was where were you at, Chris? I'm sorry.
0: Um, We're roughly about episode eleven or twelve. So oh yeah, yeah. um, You Lelouch is meeting with. uh, There's this group called the the Kyoto Six, and they're sort of like the elites of Japan financially. Yeah, like in the business world, and they secretly are funding all these rebellions. Um, You know, there's all these different rebel groups aside from Order of the Black Knights, and uh, you Lelouch wants their support. And he knows who, uh, you know, one of them is like sort of this old guy who's hidden behind the screen and they don't know who it is. And Lelouch kind of tricks them um, by having uh, C2, the mysterious green girl who is now hanging out with him, uh, dress up in his Zero outfit while he uh, gets into one of the Kyoto Six's guards' nightmare frame. Right. And just does a whole trick on them, and he knows who this old man is, and the old man recognizes him, and basically he's like, hey, guys, cool, so we'll give you, you know, weapons and money and, you know, new mecha like the Gurren, and all this stuff happens. So, you know, Lelouch...
2: Mm-hmm. It was a rousing...
0: Yeah. I'm
2: sorry, it was a rousing endorsement. It
0: was like, they, that,
2: if they needed any convincing, that old man definitely sold zero zero to him most definitely oh, yeah
0: yeah. because all of these people they wonder who zero who is, is and the old man knows who zero is but he's not saying they have no idea that zero you know who's fighting on behalf of uh japanese independence is really a britannian and not just a britannian but a britannian from the royal family
1: yeah because yeah, at that point too the black knights a lot of them were. they kind of knew he wasn't he wasn't japanese so they were kind of wondering what his intentions were like you said and they were still weren't sold on him but yeah mm-hmm. after that endorsement by that older man they 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 follow him lock stock and barrel after that
2: now there getting was... a, getting a little bit into Lelouch's um um was it motivation uh because it was in a, it's about an episode 5 where you find out a little bit about him and his connection to the royal family there's a scene where Lelouch is like it's shortly after the invasion of Japan where he confronts his, his father who's the emperor of Britannia no it's before that wasn't it yeah it was like episode 5 6 right at the beginning of the episode where he um confronts him in the royal in the royal hall and tells him it's like how come you weren't there to protect mom? You know, what uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the guy's like whatever, I don't care. And then, yeah. you know,
2: you said your mother was weak. You you're you're weak. You're dead to me Yeah. because all you've done is live off of me. You fed right. off of me. That's what is that's what his father says to him, you know. And he doesn't care co- about
0: the sister. He's like, you know, couldn't you visit her? He's like, I don't need I don't have any need for, you know, broken and useless people. I don't give a damn. So right. His <laughs> dad his dad's a complete dick. That's obvious. Oh.
1: Rich for, yeah, and Rich is further um you know uh, mm-hmm. verified when they do when they have the state funeral exactly of clovis, clovis and the emperor gives the basically the speech of you know if you're not strong and then you're then you'll exactly. be just you know food if you're weak then you're food for the strong and you know Britannia is all about strength and everything like that, so that's you learn about what he's you know what why, he's like. why Lelouch is the way he is, he's a and conqueror. why he wants to destroy Britannia.
2: He's a conqueror, straight up and down. But um, he um, it's what's interesting about Lelouch is that at that confrontation with his father, he denounced his um, he 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 wanted to remove himself from from any right. kind of asset you know, ascending the throne. he's like, look, I want nothing more to this family. I'm leaving. And he broke. He breaks out, yeah.
1: and um,
0: he goes. To, and Dad doesn't care. He's like, whatever. Just, yeah, I'll just send
1: you to Japan <laughs> as as bargaining tools. Exactly. So and which is you know, and then. Then we get back to the you know the part of you know he gets the endorsement from that older man. Exactly. So they start getting all the support you know of the other groups. And there was what an, the the other group, the other major player in the rebellion, uh, the rebellious groups, was the former Japanese Army, too. Correct, Chris?
0: Yeah. Uh, you have this guy uh, Kiyoshiro Todo, who he's uh, has this very big reputation as being the only person to score a victory against Britannia during the war right so he's part of the uh, Japanese Liberation Front which is one of these rebel groups and Lelouch sort of like they're they're kind of on the losing end yeah but Lelouch sort of like he orchestrates their downfall oh, yeah to sort of help out the Black Knights mm-hmm. and he does this whole thing where like because they, they they don't want to work with him and uh, you know he manipulates this whole thing during a battle where uh, the leaders of the Japanese Liberation Front are escaping on this tanker because um, you know Toto's been... He is he escaped from uh, Britannian confinement. Right. And he was, you know, trying to get there to this battle. So Lelouch um, secretly had these explosives put there, and he looked like, um, you know, the leaders of uh, the JLF basically just committed seppuku. Yeah. You know, that they'd rather kill themselves than be captured yeah, by sure. the Britannians. But they were really killed by Lelouch. Nobody else knows that, though. Pretty much. Toto, he gets captured, and... Uh, Lelouch basically uh, orchestrates springing him from jail because the guy is a tactical genius and he's very well regarded amongst the Japanese. But before that, more school drama because um, Valletta is investigating like all these things that were happening, like when she lost her memory, and uh, sort of gets on the trail of Lelouch being Zero, and you know brings in Shirley. Like, her some information yeah, and Shirley gets caught up into all this stuff and then this mysterious dude named Mao um, you know uses her as a yeah. ploy to get to Lelouch and C2 and you know Shirley figures out that uh, Lelouch is zero and she's sort of used as a tool and almost ends up shooting him but um, mm-hmm. Lelouch and C2 they manage to outwit this guy Mao who has his own Geass power which unlike Lelouch which is to control people Mao's is that he can read people's minds right, which makes him kind of kooky because he's not able to do it at will. He hears people's thoughts around him all the time and the only person whose thoughts he can't hear are C2s. Right. And he was with her when he was younger, so he's kind of got a thing for her and he's obsessed with her. So they end up beating him back and then Lelouch does a uh, rather sh- somewhat of a strange thing. Right. He um he geases surely, to completely forget him. Rather than having her forget the events of the last, say, few days or week, he has her completely forget him to the point that, you know, she doesn't know him and everybody at school thinks that she's just acting weird because she legitimately knows Yeah, because she
1: was all up about him. You know, up until that point, she's yeah, always she was, chasing him down, always talking about him and all that. So, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Yeah.
0: So as things develop, we have this thing where they they spring Toto from uh, being executed. And uh, they have this little trick battle to lure in uh, Suzaku, which kind of reminded me of, and I hate to have to bring this up, uh, episode 34 of Destiny where <laughs> Shin used... Kira's predictability against him to kick his ass. Yeah, because um, Suzaku fights in a very sort of weird way, and Lelouch has noticed this. So yep. you know, they they hit they get uh, Toto's. Uh, sort of his little uh, subordinates who are elite fighters, the Four Holy Swords, they're all there to spring Toto, and they lay this total ambush for Suzaku because Lelouch has completely predicted how Suzaku would respond, and they get the jump on him, and Suzaku's surprised. So we have this sort of classic moment where uh, his cockpit gets cut open, Mm -hmm. and Lelouch is shocked to see that Suzaku is the pilot of the Lancelot. And uh, they managed to get away with uh, Toto, so now they got Toto on their side. And all in the meanwhile, we've had um, yet another Britannian person uh, in the mix, and that's Euphemia, who uh, is sort of the pink princess sort of type. (laughs) And she's got the hots for Suzaku, and she's kind of naive, and uh, all this stuff is going on. So that brings us to... Where are we at at this point? Some more stuff with Mao Happens, which gets kind of annoying um, because Lelouch basically pones him and uh, he gets shot a bunch of times but then he comes back and when he comes back he kidnaps Nunnally and uh, Lelouch employs Suzaku's help in this and basically by him doing that uh, it reveals this shocking revelation that um, Suzaku killed his own father, who was the Prime Minister of Japan at the time of the invasion. Right, pretty much. A lot of people thought that he had killed himself. Yeah,
1: yeah. Instead of being c- captured by Britannia, yeah, at the raw age.
0: But it was Suzaku and his misguided idealism about you know not using the wrong methods and. You know, changing from the world from within, and he's got these sort of funky ideas. You know, yeah. it's revealed that yeah, he killed his own dad, and uh, that's sort of like his internal trauma. And uh, you know, he he sort of like what makes him a flawed character, and I think this works in the sense is He's constantly torn between trying to justify what he did and also feeling guilty about it yeah pretty much because he waffles back and forth between the two sometimes he's sad about it yeah. and he wants to atone Definitely. for it other times he tries to justify saying that it had to be done yeah.
1: right
2: and then this makes him kind of it kind of makes him wishy-washy but at the same time it shows how complex he is i mean i love the conversation in in the fourth episode when he when um zero saves him from the execution but he tells him it's like I'm going back. I'm gonna go back for my court martial. I can't I don't I don't cond- I don't condone your methods, zero and I I, I have a different way of doing things. If if, if Britannia is going to change, it has to change from the inside out, not from the way you're doing it where you're trying to force them by hand by taking them over. I, I don't agree with that. So it goes to show that yeah. Zero... Yeah.
0: It shows how different their methods are.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it's they're the best of friends. Because
0: will do what he needs to do.
2: They're, they're set up to be the best of friends and the worst of enemies at the same time. Also, uh, for, for those who didn't know, CC was the one that... Um, CC or C2 was the um the character that saved Lelouch and gave him um his yeah, uh, his genius powers girl. and you know she looks to be dead in episode 1 but around episode But it, she's immortal. Exactly. At the end of episode 4 you find out she shows up at the um the Ashford estate where they live or, or where Lelouch and his sister Nunnally who um, we we touched upon earlier they both live at the um they live at the estate of the school that they live on at the, the that they go to where well, she shows up and starts living in lelouch's room secretly and ends up being his co-conspirator um for the rebellion
0: yeah and she's sort of his his right hand man exactly I mean, although everyone thinks that uh you know he's just her sugar daddy so yeah pretty,
2: pretty much. much yeah
0: <laughs> yeah
2: well she is she is, she is um, when it comes to pizza thank you pizza hut
0: so when uh we we get to this whole uh new plan of lelouch where he uh he wanted to capture Euphemia or Cornelia. They were doing this demonstration at an island. So they have this battle there, and um, there's this sort of intervention, and they all sort of get teleported to this different island. So you have uh, Lelouch is stuck with Euphemia, and she's so happy to see him because mm-hmm. she thought he was dead. And uh, Colin is sort right. of stuck with Suzaku, and they're not really getting along. And uh, Of course, there's some embarrassment because he saw her like showering naked in the waterfall
2: yeah right that and also just uh to to let the audience know karen is um she was in the first episode she was the one piloting the red pilot uh the red mobile suit and she gets another one later on as we talked about but she also goes to school with lelouch and suzaku and suzaku and suzaku and her know each other from school not knowing that they've been piloting for opposite sides of the of the military and the uh, up until that point up until that point when they finally get to see each other face to face they just finished fighting in um in a previous episode but they've been they're kind of like the best pilots on either side they're
0: the aces and
2: now they're the aces yeah. on on respectively on their sides and now they finally reveal face to face that they're you know they're their they're enemies but at the same time they go to school with each other so that's the big reveal when they go to the island and also um uh what's her name um uh the the princess Euphemia Yeah. she um reveals to Zero that she knows who Zero is you know, and uh, at, the, yeah. at the very beginning of that episode, as because they only met one time before in the same room, and that's when um, Zero rest- rescued her and their friends from school from being hijacked at the hotel. Yeah, but um, yeah. Then so a lot of big things happen in that episode where they're stuck on that island. It's a really good episode.
0: And Lush gets his upgrade. in yep. Oh yeah. Uh, of course, another sunrise tradition. Uh, there's this super powerful mecha called the Gawain that uh, is being used to study these ruins. And while him and and Colin are are running, uh, they just come across this mecha, and he's like, "Hey, this this new mecha's here, and it's already turned on." <laughs> <laughs> Keys, Keys, in in unit. Unit.
1: Keys in the unit. Keys in ignition. <laughs>
0: He just steals it, and of course, it's this like evil black and gold looking thing, and it flies, which no other mecha can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it flies on its own. So now, and it's got like these four. He's got these super powerful um, hadron cannons, cannons. Yeah, two of them, and it's got these slash harkens, which are sort of like these um, sort of like um, points on wires. Yeah, and you can use them to like uh, climb up walls and to like pierce cockpits and all. And he's got them for like fingers. So he's got these two hadron cannons. Yeah. and he flies. So it's this badass new mecha. And he steals that. So moving along, we get to this whole uh, thing that's triggered by a pizza festival yes where sir. Euphemia announces that she wants to create a special administrative zone in Japan where yeah. Eleven live sort of on their own and call themselves Japanese rather than Elevens. This, of course, sends a lot of waves. Everybody's like, what the hell is this girl doing? So uh, we get to the last four episodes with lots of uh, epic things happening, where Lelouch agrees to meet with her, mm-hmm. and everything's actually going quite well. Yeah. And, you know, he's they're just, um, you know, talking casually, and, uh, you know, he's on off about how he has this Gias, which he sort of had these like, weird feeling when he was using it recently, and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, if I give you any order, uh, you would have to follow it, so if I said, uh, you know, kill all the Japanese, you'd have to. And then as soon as he says that, her eyes turn red. She's like, yep. yes, kill the Japanese. Ooh. And then she goes out and basically just in the stadium announces mm-hmm. to all of her soldiers, start killing these Japanese people, which they happily agree to do.
2: That my heart. So suddenly yeah, my heart sank at
0: that it turned scene. into a full-out massacre oh. with even her Terrible. in her little pretty white dress machine gunning like, old women and children to death.
2: Mm-hmm. You got to think jumps about into this. a nightmare. Yeah, you got to think about this. That stadium is as big as, like, say, you know, one of the bigger sports stadiums. It's like an athletic stadium. There. So you, you mean, got probably it,
1: about.
0: You're, you're like your typical football stadium, like Major League Football Stadium. There were
2: people in the stands and people on the field. Yeah. And they were getting mowed down by not only soldiers with machine guns, but mobile. I mean, the nightmares, which yeah. were gunning these people down. It's like a complete genocidal massacre. It's ridiculous. Then they moved it outside. And then they, they moved, moved it outside, outside
0: and. Um, you know lulu she he confronts her and uh, she sort of goes back to her normal south when she sees him because he's not japanese so um basically telling her like oh everything will be okay yada yada and uh, then he shoots her yep. and suzaku flies in he sees this and he's like he grabs her and flies off and uh takes her to uh, the ship the avalon which is captained by her brother schneisel who's the um Second Prince of Britannia. So he's one of the higher-ups. Yep. And basically she uh, mm-hmm. she dies in Suzaku's arms. And he, he vows, vows vengeance. vengeance. And uh, Lelouch, you know, he's sad about having to kill his own half-sister, who he considers was probably his first love. But, you know, stuff happens. you got to move forward with the plan. So uh, he has this plan basically to declare the United States of Japan Right. And uh, he wants to capture Cornelia and basically bring down the Britannians, and uh, this is like his final move. Yeah. So um, he had geased a bunch of people who work in the controls of the uh, Britannian colony, and they made a whole part of it collapse because it's all on stilts. So you have this huge battle being fought between uh, the Black Knights and the Nurses. Yep. And uh, Suzaku, of course, he's now crazed, and he wants vengeance. And he's going to attack Lelouch. And uh, our buddy Jeremiah, a.k.a. orange Coon. he shows up in this giant orange-looking round thing called the Siegfried. It's sort of like a mobile armor that's uh, pretty powerful. (laughs) And it's just messing with Lelouch's plans because his sister got kidnapped by this sort of mysterious-looking boy named V2 who also told... Suzaku, about Lelouch's power. So um, mm-hmm. you got this whole battle breaking out, and Lelouch basically says, uh, Black Knights, I'll see you later. I got to take care of something else. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as he leaves, everything just starts going south.
1: Put Toto and...
0: Uh- With Toto and all these guys, they all start getting their asses kicked. It's all going to hell. And uh, Lelouch is flying to this island, yep. basically the island where he got the Gawain. And then uh, Jeremiah is still following him, and it's this whole mess. So he gets into mm-hmm. this cave and uh he's trying to get to his sister but then suzaku confronts him and actually shoots his mask off and he you know he's just all crazy and shaking and basically saying that you're a monster Mm -hmm. and you don't deserve to exist in this world and i'll rescue your sister and you don't deserve to live yada 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 and uh callan she's there too and uh lucia's like oh yeah well, if you shoot me, this Sakura Day bomb that's on my chest will explode and you'll all die too. Ha
2: <laughs> <laughs> Like a true maniac.
0: Yep. And then, uh, of course, uh, they're aiming their guns at each other and shots ring out. End of season. Yep. She, she beat him up and she's sort of sinking into the ocean. Definitely.
1: End of
2: scene, fiend, <laughs> as they say. Except for the, um, the little scene because um, outside. Um, outside uh cc was actually fighting against orange orange oh, Coons, uh, she's sinking, in and a, um she, she's yeah she yeah. was yeah. stalling for time and then she's yeah she sinks him in the ocean and after the credits you actually see a little bit of um a little she, she's kind of um it's a a monologue towards uh, during the credits about you know what happens afterwards or you know just alluding to the mm, second season that
1: and she kind of recapped she, what happened yeah and, you know what what he was all about but yeah definitely a great show yep. um it was, you know, nice to see a character that was just, uh, just such a bastard. I mean, Lelouch, I, I, and I loved every minute of it. I mean, he never got the emo, the craziness. He was, he did not care about any of those people, and you know, with the two characters, both of what they wanted to do um, was correct. I mean, yeah,
0: they both essentially want to do the same thing, but they just have different methods. But
1: and their and, and both methods were the were good methods you couldn't say it's not like in a lot of these shows where these you know some of these uh these guys are a little more flawed or, or they're a little bit more self-serving but they both had you know uh luch you got to bring it down immediately you got to rebel against it, and sissako well you got to bring it down from within well, and well, that you know,
2: raises a, that raises a really good question um, out of the three of us, Chris, um, whose, whose point of view do you side with more?
0: I would say uh, Lelouch. One of the things I like about Lelouch is sort of the deconstruction of the mecha protagonist because, number one, yeah. he's not the main pilot. right? Yeah. Uh, he usually pilots a crappy mecha up until he gets to Gawain. Usually, uh, you know, Colin, she's the ace with uh, yeah, and- you know, the super-powered mecha. Um, and even
2: in the Gawain, Cece does all the work.
0: Yeah. he's the gunner. Even yeah. she does all the work, and then the Gawain's sort of uh, you know getting its ass kicked by Cornelia there at, at the end of the season, you know. And basically, in a lot of Mecha shows, the protagonist he sort of moves with the flow of the events. Like there's some war between exactly. Earth and space, and yada yada. Right. And the protagonist he's just sort of caught up, and he fights along with the flow of events that are out of his control. Whereas in Code Geass Lelouch is the driving force of those events.
2: Thank you. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. Yep.
0: And Suzaku basically um, you know he's sort of a deconstruction of the idealistic pilot who's naive and uh, he's basically a hypocrite. He's also yeah. like- but that's what I like about him.
2: He's a he's a hypocritical idealist where you know
0: He's a hypocritical idealist who will do dirty things yet you know
1: Condemn you for doing the same thing. Exactly.
0: But we'll condemn someone else for doing the same thing and tries to put himself on the moral high ground. Which is why right. you know, even in that final confrontation between him and Lelouch, Lelouch is basically pointing out like, Hey, you killed your own dad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and Suzaku is like this is something that gets thrown in his face and even to that point he's still waffles between trying to atone for it and justify it. So, if you're trying if you're trying to justify something you feel guilty about, yeah. how guilty do you feel about it and have you really atoned? Yeah. Exactly. At least so that's what I like about those two characters. At least the most that they're they're not what, you know, they seem from, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. the archetype. And also, I think this should be mentioned, uh, a lot of people Sort of describe Code Geass as Death Note with Mecha, <laughs> which is something that only works on the surface. Yeah, yeah.
2: on the surface, there's there's a the cat and mouse game, and there's the, there's the there's the there's the there's the pursuit. There's the masked individual. I mean, you, there there are some elements that are, are are similar in both cases, but it's a completely different story.
1: I, I think it's completely different on the surface. Yeah, on the surface, that's where it, that's where it ends. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you find a lot of movies and other forms of fiction too. I mean, you have you have the two characters who are, you know. Are, i wouldn 't say the uh, in, in in death note they weren 't the best of friends, but you could see in another in another lifetime they could have been um, mm-hmm. in Kogia they were the best of friends
0: another thing is you know if you compare Lelouch to to light yagami uh, light 's a complete asshole yeah he yeah. 's not doing he 's not doing what he 's doing out of altruistic purpose he 's doing what he 's doing to take over the world and be its god exactly yeah. He stated that from the very beginning and he doesn 't care if he has to use his own family, which as we see in death note he does quite a bit he doesn't care about sacrificing anybody and everybody for his purpose whereas lelouch Lelouch. his goal is to create a better world for his sister no matter what he does to get to that point so that's the big difference between the two yes they have this supernatural power that and then you know they're master manipulators but light is just flat out evil exactly yeah he's and his whole thing is he you know his light's main motivator, even then, is he just wants to make sure he doesn't get caught. Yeah, exactly. Lelouch wants to change the world. Even
2: Lelouch, you know, even Lelouch can honestly admit that he knows that he's going to be unveiled somewhere along the process. He just knows that, you know, being Zero, he's got to keep up this this this. The only reason why he wears the masks is so that he can kind of keep both identities going at the same time. So that his sister stays safe. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Now he's now, now he's amassed his army. He's got an army that can actually protect his sister, which he implemented in the last two episodes. Like he sent him. He sent him right to the. Um, he sent him right to the school. The. Um, I'm sorry. The resistance um, force. He sent him right to the school to protect his sister, and although you know not directly telling him that, and almost getting you know his friend shot, but still, I mean that was his intention. And you know, at this point, you know when he revealed himself to the queen. Towards the end, not the queen, but um, Princess uh, Cornelia, Princess Cornelia, and it revealed his identity. He was going to keep her alive to use her as a bargaining chip, but you know. Once he once she got away, once you know there was no chance he could capture her. He he must have realized then is like his secret's going to get out. It's going to get out.
0: Well, it's not that so he uh, he. It's not that she got away. It's that he found out that his sister had been kidnapped, and then he yeah uh, he couldn't use her, and, so he had to go get his sister. And Jeremiah
1: was, showed up too. Yeah. And Jeremiah just so to, yeah it was yeah he he big old mess. Yeah, he knew that yeah it wasn't the case. No, I I agree with that because I mean um I, I heard people say that, but to me. It's not like, it's very, 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 the similarity between it and Death Note are very slight. It's just that surface thing because Lelouch does it, for, he's doing the things for others. And like you said, I don't really like Light. I've seen Death Note and I, I don't I, like Light.
2: You're not really supposed to like him. So, I mean, you like L more than but Light. That's, a, stuff,
1: that's though, another yeah. thing, but we don't need to talk about that show. It's only, it's but, only um, the chase but, and,
2: and the power is like the two main, the main, they're like a mysterious power that allows him to, yeah. it gives him an angle. It's, it's, it's the similarities to Death Note. Other than that, the character types are different.
1: But yeah, I, uh, I back to the thing, I would I'm more along the lines of um, with Lelouch too. I mean, Chris basically hit a lot of the points I already told So Bro before too. I, I like the fact that he wasn't the ace pilot. Uh, he's actually very poor at piloting and you know he's he's more of the uh, he's more of the strategist he's more of a you know he's able to disconnect his feelings when need be even when some of it is hurting people that he knows but the only person that's the most important to him is Natalie and, I mean, that's where he knows that if something happens to her, everything is lost. He could care less about any of the other stuff, but if something happens to her, it's lost. Even though he cared for uh, Shirley and all that and was very sorry to see what happened to her father, he was as... able to disconnect. Uh, he took a shower, and he was able to disconnect and go right back out. And, uh, you oh, know... He got um, a little Irish spring in him, and he was good to yeah, go. Yeah, he was, he was <laughs> done, but... um
0: <laughs> so, since we're going to talk about uh, Gius more in the next segment, too, and you guys have any closing comments on season one? It was, uh, it was
2: a roller coaster ride, man. Just it can't wait like, for season two. It is, it is the antithesis to your regular mech show. I mean, for those who like to equate uh, Lelouch with Char, he is kind of like Char, but he takes it to another level for the fact that, you know, Char, Char had a conscience. Lelouch has a conscience only, only really, really relating to one person. Shar, um, you know, he had a lot more he had a lot more things holding him down. Um, Amaro and um, Suzaku, there are some comparisons there too, but for the most part, I actually like Suzaku more than I do Amaro, I'd have to say. That's not too that's not a stretch. But it's not a stretch, but there's Amuro. a lot more admirable qualities about him than there's Amaro. Granted he is a hypocrite, but at the same time I just think that um, this show just takes a refreshing new take. On um what 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 um Sunrise is built up in one franchise already, and they can actually have the ability to turn Gears into its own franchise too if they play things right.
0: Well, so. they're already on that step since we've had a uh, DS game. Yep. Yep. and Now there was just released a PS2 and PSP game, so I'm sure they want to milk this for all they can. Um,
1: and there's Mad Manga and yep. picture dramas and all this other stuff. Yeah,
0: there's there's three there's three manga series, mm-hmm. a novel. I mean, there's all there's the picture dramas, which I guess we'll mention more later on. Exactly. There's sound dramas. There's all just all sorts of typical Everything. sunrise merchandising.
2: A, a media blitz. I look forward yes. to its future, and um, I also look and, forward and
0: the Pizza Hut and,
2: and him yeah. and, and some Pizza Hut as I watch the season opener next week. Yeah, right, buddy. So. But um, anyway, I'll, I
0: guess that's my. I don't have any other thoughts on this. Uh, I'm, I'm good too. I'm
1: just looking forward to season two.
0: Well then we'll talk about that in the next segment. Most
2: definitely, and we we'll ta- we definitely will talk about it more in the next segment. This is uh, Gundam at MAHQ. I'll be
0: Gundam. damned if I'm gonna clean up this mess! <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo. And this is kind of like the episode 12, seems like the Code Geass episode of Gundam here. Uh, we had already spoken about the first season, some of the things that had happened, some of our thoughts uh, during that season. Uh, now here, we're going to just quickly go over uh, some of our speculations, some things that we might think that we m- may happen. I know Chris has got some additional information on some of the new characters and some things from Mecha Talk, and we'll touch briefly on some of the English voice actors that are going to be on the English release of Code Geass as it comes up to be shown on Adult Swim later on in April. But first off, uh, we'll just go kind of kind round-robin here on some things. Um, regarding Season 2, some of our thoughts. I know that we've probably all seen the quick little like. Thirty-second teaser trailer for season two, and um, you know just some of the things that happened at the end of season one. Anything out there, that guys, that you think that um, anything that you're kind of hoping for or waiting to see in season two first? Well, um, you know, I, I want to see Lelouch getting control of his gears again. Now that
2: he um, is out of control, it makes me wonder if um he's ever going to gain control of it again. Judging now from that that, preview, that brings up a good question. Yeah.
1: that brings up a real good question. Do that preview, how many episodes? Do you think that do you think it'll be within the first five to six episodes that he gets control of the Ghias or not?
2: If we we're doing over under, like in um, and pardon the interruption, um, I'd have to say I think it'd be within the first episode because if you remember the the time skip is what two years, mm-hmm. yeah. So you know he, maybe he figured out a way in between that time that he um he was able to get it under control and it would leave the viewer wondering, okay, what the heck happened from episode uh. Episode, the final episode of season one to this and you know right. what happened in between the, the downtime so i if i had to guess it would be under
1: B P about episode one yeah. i'm actually thinking
0: <clears throat>
1: it's hard to say but i would probably think it would be under five eps too but i'd probably be maybe around the second second or third episode i think that might be kind of a uh, interesting kind of twist there of, of what he might you know of, of starting it what about you chris do you think he's going to be in control within that time or
0: we're probably within the first episode
1: really yeah
0: Out of the first episode the fact that the time skip that's my prediction and
1: what's and what is the, the time skip is what about 2 years supposedly i believe it's 1 year 1, it's year. one year okay so is it's, it's it, okay so we do have a little bit of time there but um
0: so we do have some information here some confirmed stuff it's on mecha talk courtesy of Amaro nt1 Who uh, wrote all of the Code Geass profiles that are on MHQ? Nice. So let's see here. Some things have changed. Suzaku has been promoted to the Knights of the Round, and these are sort of like 12 elite knights in service to the Emperor, and he's the Knight of Seven. Wow. So it's ranked, you know. um, So obviously, Knight of One—that's the top rank. That's the most powerful knight of all, and that one serves as the personal bodyguard to the emperor. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So Suzaku is now the uh, knight of seven and we have some new characters. Um, one of them is a guy named Gino Weinberg, and he's the Knight of Three, and he has this uh, transforming nightmare called the Tristan.
1: Wow! Another, oh, no, another, another Sunrise staple there. Yeah, transforming mecha. In, in a sequel
2: series, you gotta have a transformable mecha. It's a mandate.
0: Then there's this uh, <laughs> this girl named uh, Anya Erlestrime, and she's the Knight of Six, so she's ranked right above Suzaku, and she has this uh, sort of heavy mecha. Called the Mordred, which has four hadron cannons as opposed to the just the two that were on the Gawain. Wow!
1: So I guess if you're part of the Knights of of the Round, you you get basically a specialized suit or a a personal, you know, custom-made suit.
0: Probably because you you know Suzaku, he's got you know good old Lancelot, and then they have these these two custom mecha of their own. Right. So I'm sure the other knights they have custom mecha. Um, another new character is a guy named uh, Li Shinku. He's this Chinese guy who's the bodyguard of a Chinese ambassador because there's conflict between the Chinese and the uh, Britannian Empire beginning of Season 2. Right. So here's sort of an idea of the way the situation has changed. Uh, because of the rebellion that happened in Area 11, it's now a correctional region, and there's a strict wow. new governor general in place. His name name is Carassus or Carasso. Uh, He's even—he's like the worst there is, and he basically has the place on complete lockdown. So, you know, escape from Japan kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Escape
2: from from Area Area 11. 11. Always comes back to Snake.
0: This time, Snake (laughs) Pliskin. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, the Black Knights, they're still around, but nobody knows what happened to yeah. Zero. The pre—the preview trailers, you know, they showed some of the Black Knights being under arrest. Mm-hmm. And you got Colin, who's sort of um, undercover in a casino. Yeah. Awesome. Called the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. And she's basically, like, dressed up as a bunny girl. That's not good. To, not that, to fan that, service. And, 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 yep. and that's
2: good fan service right yep. there. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Sunrise. And you've got this thing <laughs> of uh, beginning of the season uh, Lelouch is sort of like back to living a normal life at school so it's sort of a uh, a reset but there's more to it than that so I don't want to get into advanced spoilers of that um, what else do we have basically from you know what I've read the idea is that uh, Season 2 will be more international. Oh, wow. that, I was hoping for that. And it'll focus more on world conflicts rather than just Japan because I mean, we kind of took Japan to the limits of what could be done there in Season 1. So yeah. exactly. just continuing the story to be repetitive. So now it's taking on his plans are taking on more of a global scale.
1: Yeah, it's ni- it'll be nice to see what other areas they had conquered uh you know with cuz they cause they, it, they reference what like area 18 yeah, area and the first that was yeah. the that was what the like the middle parts of the middle east middle or something east, yeah. like that so you just kind of wonder what these other areas are and there have to be i'm sure the news of what happened in um in area 11 reached these other places via the underground networks and that that would make sense having a more international uh cast i'm sure zero is probably love a revolutionary and legendary um throughout the world at as that far point.
2: as he got yeah.
1: It, yeah the
0: way I see it's it's sort of like the effect of the American Revolution mm-hmm. which you know when the news of that got around the world it in part triggered the french revolution right. and it also triggered all these revolutions in south america yeah so you know i'm sure there's a lot of pe- oppressed people in all these areas who are thinking well hey if japan could maybe we could too yeah
2: history repeating itself in a new in a new kind of timeline
0: in a different way since um you know according to yeah. exactly Code Geist history the american revolution failed uh in part because of a betrayal by ben franklin yeah
1: that oh. was interesting, yeah,
0: and he that's was, in that's in the, uh,
1: he was the Benedict Arnold.
2: Are you serious? Yeah. yeah, and that's in the picture dramas, I guess, right, or is that in um in something I, else?
0: Well, C two mentions that she knew him because mm-hmm. obviously you know she's immortal, so we've had flashbacks of her like back when you know witches were being yeah. burned, and she mentions being burned as a witch, and we have flashbacks of her in a different World War One, yeah, and she talks about Ben Franklin as if she knew yeah. him, so she was probably around at that time. Yep.
1: Jeez, Which, uh, really you know, That's <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that they're going to go that route because a lot of times like we said uh like we said in you know when we were talking off air about uh the end of season one of um double zero it's it's nice to see these things happen very quickly and not you know dragged out along a whole to, to long see the, time
2: to see the show reach epic heights within yeah. like a smaller amount of time and and, and, and see that
1: uh, a localized conflict will then it occurs it, it's ended and then influences other global conflicts so mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a nice I – was, I was kind of interested in seeing how they were going to go with this. The ripple effect, basically,
2: and, and seeing exactly who's going to be – who's going to turn out to um, rebel next. Like, well China's, China's under control of itself, right, in this world. they, they, they Yeah, China the is its own – Federation.
0: Its, it's own – it's a Chinese federation. Yeah. So
2: basically, the next, the next uh, area to actually break free of the Britannians will be the most interesting factor. Hopefully, it's America. I'd I like to see them actually go to, go to see what America looks like in this world. And see exactly if they start to set up a base of operations there, or they can actually free Japan 100% and then move on. So that they can affect other countries, are just to see if they get involved with another re- resistance elsewhere.
0: Well, the the yeah. America of Code Geass can't be that different if they still have Pizza Hut. So there you yeah. go. Yeah,
1: there it you can't go. be that different. <laughs> and and that, that would be funny if the leader of the next revolution is the CEO of Pizza Hut. The the old cross marketing <laughs> that they have. And I and I hope too. I I, I was I was wondering too. Uh, the another great over under question would be. Within uh, would you say within the first episode, CC or C two actually gets enough uh, stickers to get that free pizza pie? Oh man, how uh, how many episodes?
2: How many episodes are we going to go over under on this one?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I say she gets it within the second. I, I say. One within one episode, would she get it redeemed? Well, if, actually, if you
0: imagine that during the time skip, she's still been eating lots of pizza, she's just she's probably—you uh, know—she's
1: probably redeemed it about four times already. Exactly, because it's all that chick would eat.
2: Well, after that nice long swim from out of the ocean, I'm sure her first place of uh, her first place she visited, she was she probably worked up an appetite and hit the local pizza. She googled Pizza Hut. There you go, and just walked right off the right off the beach <laughs> into the into the Pizza Hut nearby. and Just sat down and had a meal. <laughs>
0: You know, we I, I should probably have been mentioning uh, Pizza Hut over and over for the last hour, and we've never explained why, and that's because there's tons and tons of shameless product placement in this show for Pizza Hut. Exactly. Also in Darker Than Black, and in some extent... I was going to mention that. Darker Than Black does it even worse because you have a street where you have like three Pizza Huts literally right next to each other. Like, across the street. Yeah. Like, on one side of the street, there's a Pizza Hut. Across the street from it, directly, there's another Pizza Hut. And then, like, two stores down, there's another Pizza Hut. I mean,
1: but, it, uh, it's so bad in Cogias. So I think it's, like, what, the first or second episode?
0: Very first episode, you see the Pizza Hut sign on the highway when there's that whole chase scene. Yeah, on
1: the overpass uh, on, the, very, on the expressway. And I'm just, like what I'm thinking it, and then and then once she really shows up that's when it's like yeah, because you kept seeing it throughout but it was subtle. just like in the background and, and until, then that first she, time that you see she goes to the door and mm-hmm. there's some you know yeah, there's Saji Crossroads which is wrapping with the delivery uh, guy delivering like nice. a Pizza Hut pizza <laughs> as opposed so
0: she's always eating it yeah she's always always all the time yeah. and so is the student council it's like here have yeah because <laughs> did, did,
1: didn't they have that welcoming party and it was catered by Pizza Hut dude
0: you,
2: <laughs> did you see the look on Cece's face when when um, Suzaku dropped the dough, oh, when
1: that
0: they were making hilarious. the world's largest pizza for the that festival.
2: Yeah. Her her disappointment was hilarious.
0: But well, you know what's <laughs> funny though, in that episode where they talk about pizza so much at the school festival and the the world's largest pizza, there was no Pizza Hut advertisement there. Yeah, there wasn't.
1: Yeah, really? Yeah, the there wasn't. That
0: was really weird. I thought they were going to say like, you know, that is bizarre. World's largest pizza sponsored by Pizza Hut. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it's the, it's the strangest thing. So yeah, Pizza Hut course uh, supports the rebellion and actually in japan uh they had a whole bunch of other cross promotions that like they were offering junk uh from pizza Hut japan which i had a look at their website and uh surprisingly well maybe not so surprisingly pizza hut japan carries a bunch of stuff you can't find here oh i'm sure like they have uh seafood pizza and they have all these different Ooh. flavors of pizza and wow. they have like linguine and all sorts of other junk that oh you, nice you, you just can't get at Pizza Hut. It's like an
1: actual Italian restaurant. Wow, that—that's
2: that,
0: funny. So that's that's the story of Pizza Hut. Now, but, um, moving along, of course, uh, the other news is that season one starts airing on April 26th on Adult Swim, which is Saturday, and uh, unfortunately, 3 right. a.m.
2: Yeah, Saturday going into Sunday. Not not to be confused with technical Saturday at 1.30 one, yeah. a.m. Everybody, but yeah, it's very true.
0: Thanks. But Adult Swim again for screwing over anime even more. Well, well, the
2: whole i i i don't want i don't want to knock Adult Swim. I would like to ask if anybody. If
0: I think they need to be knocked.
2: Do you think so? I i, I want to absolutely. I want yeah. i want they've done. I want to i want to go ahead and just i want to put out i want to what's what's the word i want to just extend my hand in friendship to Adult Swim and say hey if you can. Make a last minute change and swap out Death Note with this show. Since it's taking Death Note's place technically, why not put it at the same time slot? People already come to know to watch Death Note. Actually,
0: I think it's taking place Blood Pluses. Yeah. Oh, you got to yeah. be kidding me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, given the way Adult Swim is now, I'm going to have to extend him a middle finger. Oh. Because in the, in the past, <laughs> they did a lot to help anime. And, you know, Adult Swim was kind of built around anime. Yeah, yeah. very much so. But now, you know, after bazillion runs of Inuyasha Mm -hmm. they took away anime during most of the week Um, they don't promote any of the shows that they put on they They throw them in crappy time slots and Adult Swim is just full of all these horribly animated Shows that are just like Ugh. they think are funny just because they're so damn weird. Yeah, like say twelve ounce mouse, assy McGee, all this other weird garbage. That it's just not funny. Like the stuff used to be in the old days, like when you had yeah. Aqua Teens and Harvey Birdman and Sea Lab. Oh yes. You know, it's just weird stuff for the sake of being weird. Yeah. So
2: it's just you, 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 you laugh awkwardly instead of laughing, um, laughing. You know, with, with the fact that it's actually hilarious.
1: And what they've done too, and the one thing that I've noticed that they do is they always do that stuff where they show the um, um, ratings for these shows, yeah, and I think they they know purposely. Because a lot of the people that are in there now, they want the anime off or they don't like it. Yeah,
0: and they, they make fun of it all the time in the bumpers. They make fun yeah. of its
1: ratings, but they purposely put it at times that, I mean, let's be no honest. See it. and, it's, and it's on Saturday night, which no one's going to be watching well, on Saturday Well, I mean, night. of course you're going to have a bigger crowd at a Saturday night at 11 o'clock no, or 11 actually, thirty you, uh, than the, you the, would the, at 1.30. The
2: age range they're looking for to watch the show. I know, but, but what not, I'm saying, I'm just mm-hmm.
1: talking numbers because yeah. just at any time, more people are going to be up at 11.30 at night. Night, then will yeah. be at one thirty. At Depend. It doesn't matter what day it is. Right. So of course you're always going to have more, um, you know, more better numbers. So but look,
2: look I, I, I look at it this way too. Sunday night is a better night for people to watch television because the segues into Monday. So people are at home. Not for, the, not, not, for like, who, no. not
1: for who the people you're trying to go after. The, the,
2: for adults when the people they're looking for are 18 it doesn't to matter. twenty four,
1: they'll still still watch it. Well, I'm, I'm sure, but I mean,
0: but but Paul's got a good point. You know, because mm-hmm. you see you see stuff like. Like they'll they'll throw out a bumper like ha 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 yeah uh, you know reruns of Family Guy got double the ratings of new yeah. episodes of Ghost in the Shell it's like well, well no why, kidding why, why do you, why do you have to. We have to shove it in our face.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you show it at eleven, and your show goes to the shell at First one o'clock all, in, at night.
2: Anime, anime is such a it's it's a niche it's a niche genre to begin with. So you know, it, back in the day, if you got two hundred thousand watchers of Adult Swim, it was fine. I wanted to, I wanted to see the ratings of Cowboy Bebop when um, Adult Swim started. It couldn't have been that big. It just was it was good enough at the time for what they were selling. You know, with the for the for the um the t- commercial time slots that we're selling, but then when Aqua Teen and all those other shows blew up, you know the it 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 allowed them to actually charge more for commercials. Well, now they're not getting the revenue that they want for the commercial t- commercial time that they're selling, so they want to rag on anime and get rid of it because they want to just completely you know plaster Adult Swim with these shows that are just you know that the horrible horrible shows that like a lot of yeah. them. I can't I can't I can't rag on Frisky Dingo. Because you know that's like one. It's of actually the two, a pretty funny th- show. It, when you when you when you warm right. up to that's it, it's actually one thing. of the better shows on there. I haven't but, seen that, but I will yeah. happily
0: trash garbage like Tom Goes to the Mayor. Which yes, you know, yeah. If anybody, if anybody out there likes it, sorry, it sucks. I, I, I'm not. It sucks. On it.
1: I'm not too um, bad at all. The, uh, the other one with those guys, yeah. Um, oh, you mean, um, the that thing, uh, robot chicken. Oh. I'd have to trash. Oh. Talk about unfunny. Robot I chicken is. G- g- I, I,
2: I it's one of those shows I, I give a pass to because some
1: episodes some of it's funny, some it's not. It's hit or miss
0: chicken's inconsistent they do a
1: lot more misses than they do dang man but um yeah so i mean yeah i i agree with chris on that aspect it's like you know i'm a
0: little shaky about the prospects of it on adult swim because of the fact that obviously the regime that's in charge there now really doesn't give two craps about anime and would rather it be gone if this was say four years ago when they used to hype things like bebop and shampoo yeah. and all these other shows and you know actually promote anime those great promos then i'd be like hey great adult swim but you know the way they treat shows now it's like here have your anime anime fan it's
1: almost got a it's almost got a built-in failure in it because yeah. they have it at a bad time slot plus it's, we're about 4 weeks out they had a they had a quick little bumper like 2 weeks ago yeah. on it that i saw but you go to their websites. You go to any of that stuff. You don't see Nothing. anything about it. I mean, Nothing. how much does it take to put a little banner on top of adultswim.com dot com that just says "Code Gius"? You know, Coming April soon, 26th. a promo. You
2: know. you know, something like that. Yeah. I want. I want to prove. I want to prove the execs at Adult Swim wrong. That's why I encourage anybody listening to the show to tune in to Code Gius when it's airing. I know a lot of you don't like. Dogs. No, you know what I. You know I what I encourage. Don't like adult. Maybe you don't no. Know you know what I would
1: encourage them. the people out there to do What's is that? to go to the Adult Swim board and talk board? about. anime, but don't be dumb you know don't flamers flame. Don't flame. but just actually yeah. put something on there talking be about some intelligent of that
2: stuff posts. but so. on top of that what they're looking for mostly are the ratings they're looking at those numbers so if you are interested in watching code Gears, don't wait don't download the show watch it on adult swim buy the dvds um and and and, or and just you leave know,
1: your tv on and download it while well,
2: you can you can you <laughs> can do that i mean tivo the show no. whatever it takes but, but watch it on adult swim because if those numbers are up
0: well you could also download it from adult swim cuz yeah. yeah the episodes will be on the adult swim fix online the day before that would be the oh, big, okay. that would be
1: the biggest thing to that, do is to actually go to adult swim.com that's fine and but download it
2: when the, when the push comes to show if they want you watching the channel to see the commercials so if you can watch it on well, the they have commercials channel, on their
1: download fit on they their do?
0: downloads but there's also internet nielsen's that track this sort of stuff so yeah yeah
2: as long as there's some way to track it that's the most important do thing. both
1: download and, it well watch it both can, watch it online it, and on it, tv at the same time i've
2: already seen this show and i plan on watching an adult swim and i plan so. on buying the dvds Money. I mean, um, those numbers speak volumes, and so does so does your money. Money talks. Money talks the loudest. So if you wanna if you if if you wanna prove if you wanna prove these naysayers wrong at Adult Swim and bring anime back and get us good shows, watch these shows that are airing now. That's the best thing you can do. Plain and simple. But anyway, so, go ahead. I'm sorry about that.
0: So speaking of uh, season one being on Adult Swim, um, just wanna take a minute and point out some of the dub and uh, yeah, oh yes, kind of thoughts that we have on that. Uh, starting off with um. Lelouch, who's played by... Uh, the Black Ranger. Johnny Young-Bosch. Oh, man. The, the Black Ranger? The, the, the Ranger. The <laughs> yep. Black Ranger. A.K.A. Vash the Stampede. Nero. A.K.A. Renton Thurston. A.K.A. Yep. Uh, Ichigo Kurosaki. A.K.A. Yep. Everybody in every anime right now. Hey, man. Mm-hmm. He was
2: Saku on back. That's all that matters.
1: I will... <laughs> I will I, I'll give my thought on this. I will defer. I I, I like him. I will I, defer till I hear it. I like
0: Johnny Young-Bosch, but mm-hmm. uh, number one, he's kind of overexposed now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. number two, I think he's miscast as Lelouch. Yes, um, I agree. What I think they made the mistake was uh, they cast as Suzaku, Yuri Lowenthal, who plays Sasuke on Naruto. But also before that was probably... Um, Better known to video game fans as the Prince of Persia. Yeah. yeah, that's right. In the first and third Prince of Persia games, not that god awful second one. Yeah. Um. So as far as getting the character of Lulush, if you look at the way Yuri Lowenthal played Sasuke, who's sort of you know,
2: he turn and uh, and just just you know, he's got this chip on his shoulder. The, like
0: this chip on his shoulder, <laughs> elite guy, and the Prince of Persia, who sort of a chip on his shoulder, yes. elite guy. They should have flipped uh, the roles easily. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Yuri Lowenthal would have been. A much much better fit for the kind of character Lelouch is, Yeah. and Johnny Young Bosch would have been a much better fit for the sort of like idealistic, naive, dumbass kind of guy that Suzaku is. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: for the most part, you hit the nail in the head. I, I agree, I agree, I agree all the same. I have nothing wrong. I have nothing against Johnny. I, I think he's a cool person, but I just think his voice type. Me
0: neither. I just think that it's a miscast. And exactly.
2: Yeah. He's got a much purer sound, as in he can pull off a role easier when it comes to Suzaku as it comes to Lelouch who's just very dark very brooding and you know he's just you know he's got this he's got this intensity to him and I think that Yuri Lowenthal would have probably pulled it off well a the, bit the test
1: will be when Johnny Young Bosch has to do the zero scene very true that's going to be the test very true
2: and, and so. if, if he proves me wrong I'd be glad to admit it on the show and I, I'd be glad to and, I'll, and, I'll cor- and
1: and of course another staple of all anime is Crispin Freeman of course who's playing Orange uh, Coon Orange Coon oh
2: yeah. man the other
1: Crispin yeah <laughs> So that I, that I, that I have no problem with. But oh. My my biggest one that I I liked the most was uh, the fact of uh, Princess Cornelia is going to be voiced by none other than the major herself.
2: Oh man, badness
1: herself. Oh man, I think that I, I think that's uh, talk about you know miscast. That I think that's a dead, dead on. That is a home run, right son. There. Right there. Because yeah. as I as, it's funny as I was watching the show in Japanese and I'm thinking you know I don't really think about it too too much, but I'm just. When I see like a very strong uh, female character, a no-nonsense type of character in any of these shows, I always think now of the um, what is her name?
0: Um, is it
2: Mary Elizabeth McGlynn?
0: Makoto Kusanagi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kusanagi, I always yeah. think
1: now that for the in the in the um, you know for the English dub that they need to have her voice because she commands. You know, just like Major Kusanagi, she commands everything, and Exa- you know. Cornelia, she's the no-nonsense princess. She commands her troops. Yep. She's feared. I mean, they're they're scared of her, not only because she's a princess, but you know, she could kill him in a second in a nightmare. Yep. So, that I think was dead dead on.
0: Another one, uh, it's dead on uh, very very welcome to see. Uh the man himself, Stephen Blum, as Kyoshiro Toto. Oh, yeah. man. Slurpee. That I thought was a good one, too. Slurpy Spike, man. Slurpy Spike. Slurpy Spike. Slurpy Spike, Spike. Get your checks, Caster 7-Eleven. <laughs> that's right.
2: That's you know, here's an odd coincidence, though. Um, the voice of Deed Hard reed is, in the Japanese version, was George Nakata. Uh, am I correct? Yes. Okay. He w- Who is also the voice?
0: Who's also the Count of Monte Cristo. Count of
2: Monte Cristo. So that what they did is they actually got the English voice of the Count of Monte Cristo to do his voice in the English version. Nice. And that's Jameson Price. It's like When I saw that, I flipped out. It's like, oh, my God. The, the, and it's it's ironic because um was it Christopher Freeman was the voice of Value Card which is um another George Nakata character too but it's wild just to see the same character voiced by the, by its by his English counterpart in the English version of um of uh, of Code now,
1: another one I would that's kind of um kind of question and I'm just gonna kind of defer till I hear it is the person that's gonna be Ogie, uh Kirk Thornton who's Gene. He's Gene on uh, Champlain. Champlain I don't if I, I'm thinking Gene, but I don't think that character. Oh, he, I don't think of Ogie. Well, I,
0: I, I he. The man. Well, he also was uh, Gato in the dub of '83. He was
2: Gato, and he's got he's got range. He's but got that, incredible but, range. I've seen him do I I don't like, know. I just don't think of, of Ogie, Ogie in that
1: way because he still seemed like kind of the pacifist kind of you know in the background kind of guy, even though he was the leader dude.
2: But but I see I've seen I don't I've, know. I've seen I, Kirk, I've seen Kirk Thornton do a lot of just straight straight on roles yeah. where he's just he's just an average guy and he can he has that he has that embodiment to his voice he can do tac turn like Jen and Brandon Heat but at the same time he can just do forward. I just
1: noticed this one too.
2: Right. I, I, I
1: who um, the uh, Darleton, the general is going to be as uh, the guy that did Roy Mustang. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. Roy, I like Roy,
2: that. Roy Mustang a Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. yeah. It's like one of the um one of like the few my only
1: favorite character from Wow from Metal Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> he,
2: and he came all the way from Texas to do it too, which is really cool. That and
0: Hughes. Yeah. My oh, only by the way, characters. uh Solbro, since you had brought up the trivia about uh Gankutsuo. Yeah. Here's some interesting uh Japanese voice actor trivia for you about Code Geass. So take that aside for a moment. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Clovis, the uh the uh yeah, you know, the the loser himself was played by uh Nobuo Tobita, aka Camille Bidan.
2: <laughs> right on. Who is also the voice of uh wasn't he the voice of the, the lead in Gonkutsu? Um no. Alright take that no he wasn't? No. Okay, no never mind. No, that
0: <laughs> I'm getting to that in a minute. Uh that would be uh, Yun Fukuyama, who yeah. plays Lelouch. He, in Gankutsuo, was Albert, and of that's course, right. George Nakata was there. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the two of them are also both in Stargazer. Nice. Right, that's right. And the two of them are also both in MS Igloo. MS Igloo.
2: Oh my gosh, I haven't even watched that yet. That's crazy.
0: So the the two of them just keep showing up together in, in series all the time, apparently. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: Any other thoughts on, well, any, of these, art uh, on any of these other people?
0: I'll have my... Uh, I'll just say uh, I'll have my DVR set. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, the dub. They got I think they've got a pretty good cast, and I'll I'll give uh, I'll give Johnny Bosch the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I will too. I'm and gonna until, defer,
1: but uh, I, uh, I do agree with you. Initially, I think th- I think it's not that he shouldn't be on the show. No. I think. Chris is correct where they should be swapped, and that's they what I was, swapped. when yeah. I finally saw that, and I was talking to Soul Bro about it. I thought that he should have been Sisica too. Two two last
2: voice picks. I'll I'll, br- I'll bring up one of them is um, of course the classic voice of um, of Lemon May uh, Rebecca Forstadt. Is going to be the voice of Lelouch's sister, uh, Nunnally. And I thought that was an awesome choice. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, and then um, last but not least, although he doesn't have any lines in this season, my man Michael McConaughey, the voice of D on Vampire Hunter D, and he was also Rolf Emerson in the second season of Robotech, he's going to be the voice of the Emperor of Britannia. I said, that guy has such a powerful voice. I can't wait to hear how he's going to chew Lelouch out in the episode where. Um, Lelouch and him have a confrontation after the death of his mother. That's gonna be a great, great scene. I can't wait.
1: All right, before we before we end this, here I got two little questions for you. Two little things. Basically, on our, I do one last little kind of over under thing. All right, over or under ten episodes before they change the time on Code Geass. Do you think they will change it? Do You think they'll keep it there, or do you think they'll change it? I think. I think if after about 10 episodes they'll change the I think and probably probably halfway through maybe episode 15 or something like that they'll change it to maybe an earlier time.
2: An earlier time like change the period?
1: No, change the the time that it's being oh, shown on an adult swim.
2: Oh wow, you think so? Yeah. All oh, that. I yeah. think they might if it does really well then yeah, they might change it underneath. I'd say maybe about 8, maybe 9. Really? So yeah. you
1: you're you're talking under. I yeah. I mean I I after about episode ten, do you think it'll be at the same time slot?
2: You know what? I I, I rephrase my question because I rephrase my answer because usually they like to change the show's time after the mid middle of the season. Okay. Yeah. So maybe about so episode over. thirteen.
0: I'd what about over. you,
1: Chris? You think you think um, after you know episode ten?
0: Uh, no comment.
2: Oh. Oh
1: man, it's push. I
2: have a I have, I have an I have an odds question. Um, what are the odds in season two that Lelouch will survive the end of the show? Right, if if, this, if the show ends in season two, do you think he'll survive the end of the show? Uh, yeah, if, go, ranging, I, I, would, ranging, I would say I would say you know percent
1: I'd probably say at this point, I would probably think, I would say probably ninety two percent chance I, that he's going to survive.
2: I think it's forty percent my on my really yeah. I I think that um, Chris, what, what about you?
0: I'll give him eighty five percent.
2: Eighty five percent. Then what about this? Um, what are the odds on? None of these surviving. 100. You think so? Mm-hmm. I think that's even, I, if I had to give it a, a percentage, I think about 35. 50. I, I'm 50. Really? Oh man, the split. Nice. The split. And then um, that's the case. Uh, I guess we will have to see um, how this season will turn out. But,
1: and here's a great odds maker question for you and our last question of the, of the night. Go for it. What percentage do you think uh, people at next year's Megacon will be dressed as Code Geass characters? Oh, no. I say 35%. Cuz Bleach than, and Bleach and Naruto are still going strong.
2: More than Naruto and Bleach? Uh maybe.
1: No, they're they're the other 65%. Oh jeez.
2: <laughs> if I had to give a number, maybe about 20%. Nice.
0: Nice. Chris. I'll say 20% because by then some other like, you know oh, yeah. generic shonen fighting show will have a premiere in Japan and everybody will be dressed up like that. Yeah, or something like D Greyman will get licensed in America and be airing on Adult Swim and everybody'll be dressed like that. <laughs> that's, Man. Or you that's, know, by then Naruto Shippuden will be on T V here on Adult Swim and everybody will be dressed like that. Oh,
1: yeah, geez, that's cool. what I was thinking too. But um so, all so right. I
0: give it a very low, low percentage of uh code Geass.
1: Well, that's the end of the segment. Like we said to everybody out there listening, support it on adult swim. If, if you're, if you're tired of them giving an anime kind of the shaft on there, do the right thing, you know, talk to them, you know, send letters, send emails, whatever, but do it in a respectful, nice way and sound intelligent. Watch the show, download it on the adult swim website. And lastly, support it when they bring these DVDs out because, um, you know, if you enjoy the show, we all have borrowed videos from cyberspace <laughs> many a times. But if we really, Three really shows. do love a show, we buy it. So um, those are some of our things, and we'll, we'll have to revisit some of our over/under and odds makers picks after the uh, the end of uh, season two. So you're listening to Gundam at MHQ. We'll be right back.
0: You see us uh, struggling in the car. You walk up. You open the door and you say... You're lying, George. Oh, uh... Hey you, get your damn hands off her. If you really think I ought to swear? Yes, definitely, damn it, George, swear. Welcome back to the show that has no casting couch of its own. That's Gundam at MAHQ. This is Chris, and uh, for this segment, we're going to be taking a look at the directors of Gundam. And since we had previously spent two segments profiling uh, Yoshiyuki Tomino and all his various works, we're just going to ignore him in this segment because already got out of time, so move on to everybody else. He's not paying us. Exactly. So I have a handy little list here. Gundam directors. We're just going to briefly talk about all of the directors from other Gundam shows other than Tamino and some of our thoughts on their work in that specific Gundam project as well as you know some of their other work and then later we're gonna list directors we'd like to see work on Gundam show whether it's a realistic possibility or not. So I just was lazy and did my list chronologically so we will start that way. Nice. Our first director up to bat Non-Tamino is Fumihiko Takayama. He directed uh, Gundam Zero Zero Eight Zero. <laughs> he also directed uh, Pat Labor Wasted Thirteen, the movie, as well as Orgus uh, Two, the OAV. Mainly, he's a screenwriter, so he's really not that uh, much of a director. He does mo- mostly screenplays. So, uh, you guys' thoughts about the directorial work on Zero Zero Eight Zero? Maybe some of those other things if you've seen them.
1: But which, when you said he's a, more of a screenwriter. Um, it kind of shows, I think, in his directorial uh, style, especially with 0080, as I like to call a uh, War of Boy Love. But no, just kidding. No, it, it, emph- it's definitely more, he definitely did more of a um, you know more of a character, more of a story-driven yeah. uh, thing. I mean,
2: he put a lot of emphasis on the drama of war yeah. and how it can affect people, and you know how these these people who would get along if the war wasn't in there. You know are forced forced to fight each other and um and you know as a end result you know tragic tragedy happens and and it's all seen through the eyes of a little boy and I think that was a great uh I, I guess a great uh plot device is to have the little boy experience all of that yeah and to see just the end result of what war can do to you know to a dynamic that he lived in uh, I just that's my opinion I, I I think it was beautifully directed honestly even if there were um pedophilic undertones I, uh, I i like to ignore that
1: <laughs> no i mean he 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 do, he does a fine job is you know mm-hmm. i don't necessarily put him as one of my favorite directors and i don't think if i was going to uh you know see a see a show that that would be the big selling point is
0: his directing style so
1: that's about it on my end
0: i think uh, he did a good job and uh, developing the story and you know developing a story that was in tone with the gundam stuff that had been done yeah. before that because keep in mind he was the first person other than tamino to ever direct a gundam show which 20 years ago yeah that was a big thing because up to then everything had been tamino so i think he kept the tone of the kind of things tamino was doing yeah. yet made it stand out and personally um I liked Orgus too. It's kind of underrated. And I liked uh, Pat Labor Wasted 13. Yeah,
1: I liked that one too. I, I never seen Orgus, but i seen Pat Labor. And I like that.
0: A lot of people crap on uh, Pat Labor, Pat Labor uh, Wasted 13, but I thought it was a well-made movie. Also in the style of Mamoru Oshii, even though Oshii had nothing to do with that one, but mm-hmm. he managed to capture the guy's style. So uh, next on our list is Takashi Imanishi. He was um, one of the two directors on 0083. He's also the director of MS Igloo. And in some non-Gundam work, mm-hmm. well, he's also worked on Gundam Evolve. Some non-Gundam work. He was a co-director on SPT Lasner and on Votomes. So um, thoughts on 0083 and MS Igloo's direction?
1: Liked both. Um, I like. 0083. The only problem I have with it is, like we've mentioned before, is just some of the characters. But I think the overall flow of the movie was very well done. Uh, The MS Igloos I like too. Um, I've only seen the first like three or four of them, I believe. And I I just kind of like the depiction of uh, the war, uh, the the depiction of some of the things that go in with uh, being a soldier fighting. 0083 is one of my more favorite of the um, the non tamino UC shows. Probably 8 MS Team probably being the uh, my favorite one, but um, I, I think it was definitely. Uh, I think those are both good shows, and even with Leisner and and Votum, as he he's a, he was co directors in those too. So
2: Solbro. Well, um, I've only seen really extensively um, one of his works, and that's 0083, which I thought was thought it was great. He was. Um, how much of the show did he direct?
0: Uh, it's kind of unclear exactly how what he did, and we'll get to the other guy too. Because this yeah. kind of
2: a change, like halfway through. So yeah, um, yeah and I wonder if he did the first half or the second. But. Um, I, I, outside of uh, d- 0083, the only thing I've seen, I've seen a little bit of Igloo, like, say, a bit of the first episode. Never seen anything of Lesnar. I've seen some Gundam Evolves, but I'm not sure which ones he did. But Votomes, if he was a co-director on that show, I really got to give him a nod, especially all on, on top of that for 0083. But, you know, I um I, I liked, I liked um, Votomes and what I've seen of it so far. It
0: says here that on A&N. Uh, that Imanishi, he directed episodes 2 through 13, and that Mits- Mitsuko Kase directed episodes 1 to 7. So I guess they kind of overlapped. I see. Okay. But if he became the main director after episode 7, that's also where there's a noted change in the series. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It ramps up. Uh,
0: my thought is... Uh, Zero Eight Three, good series, lacking in some major respects. Uh, mm-hmm. Characters really aren't that well developed. Uh, some of the plot point big, uh, but great soundtrack, great animation, good battles. You know, I just see it as sort of like sort of like a summer action movie, something you just sit back and watch. You don't think about it too deeply. Uh, the other half, uh, this guy Mitsuko Kase, aside from Zero Eight Three, his other big show is uh, Saikano, which uh, I've never seen, so can't really comment on that. Uh, Solbro, have you seen that show? I haven't seen it either. Yeah,
2: I've never seen Saikano. I've heard mixed mixed reviews about it. Yeah, that's the one about the girl. That um, isn't the one about the girl that's like uh, you know, is a secret weapon?
0: Girl that's a super weapon. Yeah, hence hence the name of the show, uh, Saishu uh Heike Kanojo. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's what I thought, and um oh i see yeah. what you mean okay um i didn't i didn't know the whole title no but now ne- that did you bring that up it that does make sense
0: yeah it just gets shorted shortened by fans to psychano
2: because even in america that's, that's that that's the branded name for it that's what you see on the dvds yeah but um I, I, I didn't know what the whole title was but i knew it was about the girl who was like a secret weapon or just had these abilities that she could lay things to waste but as for what i've seen of the show um as as for what I've seen in the show, I know nothing about it, but yeah. I'm not really able to tell his directorial style from that. But from 0083, given some of his shortcomings, I think he overall did a decent job with it. Uh,
0: next on our list, we have uh, Yasuhiro Imagawa, who did G Gundam. Yay. And prior to that, he did Giant Robo, the OAV. Yay. Yeah. He also did uh, <laughs> Seven of Seven, sort of a comedy thing. And uh, recently, he did the uh, TV remake of Tetsujin 28. So you guys have any comments on... On him,
2: heck yeah! This guy is awesome. Yeah. I um I have to give it up to him because I know I, reading a lot of the directorial notes on the DVDs for G Gundam, yeah, they took inspiration from movies that have already come and gone for G Gundam, and you can it, you can see it's you can see its impression on the show. Um, the show has a lot of cinematic um just just a lot of cinematic cinematical aspects to it. Um, and you know, they would, whatever, whatever movie they pull inspiration from, they make it, they make it clear in the episode what they're pulling from. But, um, even when the show makes a shift, a shift come for kind of from an episodic show to more of a continual saga show, like halfway through, or actually about, I don't know, 14, 15 episodes in, he still made it compelling. He still was able to, 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 to keep the show intriguing. And, um, given that it had a lot of things against it, like, um, you know the fact that it was more of a shonen show it was less of a. It was more of a super robot show, and you know he he had he was daring enough to actually bring that genre to something as real world real robot as Gundam, and he was able to blend both genres together almost seamlessly. Him and his writing staff, and I, I, I commend him for it. I I think he really put
1: together a great show. Well, I, I've seen both uh, G Gundam and Giant Robo, and uh, they're very similar in the aspect of taking, um, kind of like uh, serious serious type of issues and serious type of storyline and adding that kind of uh, feel-good, super robot feel to it. So, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, that's probably the toughest thing in the mecha genres is to have a super robot show that doesn't get silly or childish, that it can actually transcend to people of all ages. So, um, And he's also responsible for probably one of the better um, love stories in in all of Gundam. Uh, So... I mean between uh, Rain and Domo, but uh, yeah, he I I would definitely I, I would love to see the new Tetsujin uh, 28 to see what he does. I've never seen 707, but uh, if it's anything like Giant Robo and G Gundam, I, I'm sure it's definitely great. Yeah. So,
0: well, it's not a it's not a robot show. Well, it's uh, yeah, this show about this girl who has like seven personalities and they all like split up, and there's like these seven of her running around, and it's sort of like a oh, really? little romantic comedy type of thing. Very unlike what he usually does. Personally, I really enjoy G-Gundam and Giant Robo, their style, in that mm. he takes Super Robot's story, yeah. a serious story, yeah. and has fun with it, but still manages to have it be dramatic. Didn't you interview yeah. him? Uh, I did meet him. Yeah, that- I was very lucky to meet him a few years ago, and uh, very funny guy in person, very nice guy. Witty, but also uh, pretty humble, so... Um, nice. Definitely, you can tell that this is a guy who who likes what he does, and you can see that you know he th- has a cinematic approach to what he does. Throws in lots of movie references, uh, so he's yeah. kind of like I, I guess Very. in that sense, kind of like Hideo Kojima. You know, big big fan of movies who throws in lots of movie references into all his games. Definitely, uh, Yasuhiro Magawa is one of my. Uh, favorite Gundam directors, and I would love to see him come back to do something else. Not a G Gundam sequel, because I think that was already explored to its logical end, but I'd love to see him start either a new universe or come and do a UC thing.
2: Something
1: new. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, and one and one final thing—the thing I like—and it it had a little bit of it in G Gundam, but it definitely was in Giant Robo. Was he was able to fuse the uh, the retro, yeah, the retro look and retro feel with a futuristic, you know, kind of a setting and fantastic settings. So. He could just
2: t- he could take he could take. Um He's got the potpourri approach. He can take take many things and, and, and weave it seamlessly together. And it seems to work. And uh, I think that's the beauty of his art. I honestly do.
0: Our next uh, one on the list here is Masashi Ikeda, who directed Gundam Wing, uh, just the TV show. And uh, even then, according to some reports, only the first half of it. Oh. Uh, also directed the first 40 or so episodes of Inuyasha. Really? And also directed the first half of... Samurai Troopers, aka Ronin Warriors.
2: Heck yes, seen all three. And um, if that's the case, I mean, um, as much as we rag on the Wing, I still got to give it up to him because he was able to, um, he's able to make the, uh, he's made, he was able to put the UC on cliff notes <laughs> and present that as a whole new show. <laughs> well, not only that, but I mean, <laughs> but
1: he I mean, was he was able to give excitement. He yeah. did what fast paced, you story. know, the one thing that, um, you know, a lot of people will sit there and complain about mobile suit Gundam is, you know, it's not very exciting especially in the beginning but in this one, you know, and 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 this show just from Jump Gundam Wing, I mean, you're already introduced to the Gundams. Um, you know, there's a lot of action going on. He's able to um, you know, have these big big beautiful battles. I mean, as as bad as, you know, this this lacking in some power set. Gundam Wing has a lot of the battles are even to this day after watching, you know, all this other Gundam and stuff. I still get, I'm still very much entertained. Thinny Yasha, I'd probably say the same thing too, and yeah. Ronin Warriors. Oh, yeah, okay, of course. On. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, I, I, I would not mind seeing him come back as a Gundam director. I wouldn't mind um, it either. I, I think he would be, uh, he'd be a welcome addition, and I think, you know, uh, it'd be interesting to see what he would do especially uh, if it was another alternative uh, century.
0: Personally, I think he uh, created a show with a pretty interesting visual style and a show that's entertaining, but Mm -hmm. also not without its fault in plot development and character development. So um, just my two cents, nothing against the guy, but if he never came back to... Gundam in the future it wouldn't bother me yeah Ooh, he'd
1: probably be a, he'd probably be like a good co-director type of thing like if you had some if you did like a super group of directors or like and,
0: a super team a super group
1: you know you had like a, a like a good like character development
0: Gundam Sentai team of directors with Tamino dressed as like the red the, the red ranger yeah
1: like a super team and um, you know but
0: I don't want to think about know. that so exactly. let's, let's not <laughs> uh, moving on our next is the late Takayuki Kanda he directed the first half of 8th MS Team, and he also had directed some classics such as uh, Vernian Vifum and oh, Metal yeah. Armored Dragonar. Dragonar. Yeah. So I think uh, he only managed to direct, say, the first six or so episodes of uh, 8th MS Team. For those who don't know, he uh, was killed in a So someone else took over for him. Any thoughts on? Uh, yeah, we remember hearing
2: about that. The first
0: half of Eighth MS Team is it
2: up to Miller's report that he directed up to, or is it? Yeah, all-
0: pretty much up until the episode where they fight Aina out in the desert, where they're basically where they're waiting for her to lay a trap. Oh. I think that's where he stopped because because of his death and some other issues, it took the series three years to run out in Japan. So, so you had some pretty large, you had some pretty large gaps in. Uh, the release between episodes. And it, it
2: holds the record as, like, the, the OVA series that took the longest to finish because of the setback of his death, sadly.
0: Yeah, because it started way back in January of 96 and did not end until July of 1999.
2: Wow. Yeah. I, um, I, I mean, for him to actually do a show that, um, that presented the One Year War kind of like a, a conflict like Vietnam, you know, it's in Southeast Asia. So he, he kind of brought, a, like, a real-world grittiness to, um, to the One Year War that we didn't get to see during... Um, Mobile Suit Gundam because Mobile Suit Gundam they were on the White Base which is the most technically advanced ship and uh, here we are with um with these troops that are stuck in um s- Southeast Asia he took a character who was like well qualified to be the leader of their team because you know he was well, he fought in the Federation and he was um was a he, cadet. he, he was, was a cadet, a cadet in cadet space grab, he was on yeah. one of the colonies that got gassed you know he had his own kind of urge you know grudge against the the Zeon and he threw him in a situation where he had to team up with a you know a Zeon um female pilot but I mean he he brought a lot to the table and he set up a really great story that was very real World, even the Gundams they broke down, they you know, they were just you know, granted, they were like better than the average GM, but you know, he just brought that grittiness to him that well, the, to the whole scene that I, this, I
1: really respected. He took the super robot, he killed like the last bit of the super robot out That's, of uh, Gundam at that time, exactly. So, um, I, I think the first part of the show is great, um, it, it's a good show, but it, it you do see the shift in the in the fight in, de- in the desert, and I mean, um, the second part with the second director, I think once we get to that. Uh, I'll have more more discussion <laughs> on that one. I
0: think he did a, a great job. It certainly evokes um, you know feelings of, of uh, you know the visual thing of uh, comparisons to Vietnam sort of reminds me also of the Kumen arc of Votomes. I definitely think they took some inspiration from there. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, I think he did a great job with his past works like Vifam and Dragonar, and I uh, would have liked to have seen how he would have completed 8th MS Team, and I would have liked to have seen him do uh, a full Gundam TV series. Yeah. So that brings us into the next half of uh, this specific show, which is directed by Ubinosuke Ida. Or Ida. Yeah. He also directed the Helsing TV show. Oh. Not Helsing Ultimate. Okay. And also Tideline Blue. I've not seen that. So I haven't I seen, seen that either.
1: I've seen Helsing.
0: Comments on the second half of Eighth MS team, including Miller's
1: report. This is where it, you you see the change. And actually to be honest with you, I think the second half of the show is my favorite. Uh, only because of that, the Shuddering Mountain, that Part One and Part Two. Oh my I God! I mean, the way that he directed those last two, ep- or yeah, the last two episodes when they're in the when they're protecting the gun tanks in the city, they're trying to get into the Opsilus's, um hangar up there up on the mountain. And I mean, when what's what was that guy's name in the goof? Oh man, you talk uh, about um, Norris Morris Packard, man. When he does it, when he's just showing them, you know how how to fight and how to fight, you know, urban setting and and the things that you need to do. Um, that was my favorite part and I, I definitely liked the way that he did that especially because you had that edge of your seat excitement in that episode and and he really kind of conveyed you know uh, the fear of um, you know how you how you would be uh, facing somebody like that especially oh. when um, when Norris is holding holding the Gundam when Shiro you know when he when the sh- when the Gundam shorts out and he's holding him and he's doing the freak out and all that so well. I mean it was just a was just a whole well-directed type of uh, scene and just the, the last part was probably one of my favorites
2: well what's the so wild about- about that scene is like it's complete opposite of. Um, remember the, the episode of Gundam where they were in well, in the TV show, it was Seattle that they were at, where um, where they had to hide in the white base in the city mm-hmm. and underneath the dome and they had to protect it. And you know, Armor in the ruins of Seattle fighting against you know, hordes of Xeon troops as you know, Garmer's like you know, carpet bombing the city. And here you are, you have Norris who's in complete control of his faculties and he's surrounded by nothing but fetties yeah, and he's laying waste to them. And mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones afraid as yeah. opposed to he being the one who's completely overwhelmed and knowing that he's just time's running out he's just a, this veteran pilot that's just in the mix and he's just he's just he's making them fear like he's um he's the scream killer <laughs> <laughs> and these are a bunch of teenagers that don't know what the heck they're doing. And you know, he's just taking them out one by one. It's a, it's a slasher flick. And it, it was just an excellent scene.
0: That's a good way of putting
2: it. That and my favorite episode of 8th MS Teen is not even those two episodes. To me, it's the one where they actually set the trap up in the in the in the in the village. Oh yeah. And then the climax where um, all the villagers get what was it a um, shrapnel bombed? <laughs> well, the yeah, end. they get
1: the anti-personal weapons.
0: That
2: episode them. from start to yeah. finish
1: is a classic to me. I love that, that episode and how it plays out. And, the, and Shiro the, the has to shoot the has to shoot the rocket launcher. Into yeah. The yeah, that that is by yeah. far like the
2: the favorite my favorite episode Damn. that he
1: directed, and definitely the, up there too for me. It's just
2: drama like that that really drove that series, and I I I I, I rank it up there as one of my favorite Gundam series
1: because of that. I'd yeah. like to see him come back.
0: I would too. For me, there's sort of some ups and downs with. Uh you know, his approach, um, mountain, the great thrilling stuff. But on the downside, uh, there's sort of a shift in focus away from sort of the team tactics that they had before in the first half of the show and more focused on Shiro, which kind of bothered me a bit. Yeah. And then suddenly also more focus on Shiro and this lovey dovey idealism that he developed with Aina on the mountain, mm-hmm. True. which he didn't really have before. Yeah, that and was it, true. It was
2: kind of counterproductive to his kind of his grudge against
0: Zeon too. Yeah.
2: Because of the fact you know, that he lost his family or, <laughs> He lost people that he knew in that um in that whole conflict and now he's actually all you know, all pro about ending the war. Where did the shift come from?
0: Yeah, it just seemed a little too forced. forced. Um Guineas as sort of a final boss was pretty not compelling. I thought he was pretty cardboard and uh one dimensional. And I know there's there's specific uh yeah. Guineas fangirl who's out there on uh, <laughs> yeah Mecha Talk and, and if she hears this, uh, I know she might hate us forever. But yeah, yeah very I much just, so. he just was as bland and as boring as they get as far as villains go and non-compelling. And then you got the epilogue episode. Right. Which I think as far as an epilogue episode goes, just sucks. Mm -hmm. You don't want to... If you want to have an epilogue up things, you don't introduce introduce an entirely new story of which most of the characters aren't even in. ouch it's yeah, it's all over the place.
2: No wonder they didn't air it, huh?
0: I mean like <laughs> I wanted to see like what happened to Eldor. Did he become did he become like a hit songwriter after the war? <laughs> did he hook up with Karen? What happened to Sanders? Did he stay in the service? Yeah. You know, does he still you know think back to that, that old Shinigami curse of his? Yeah. You know? What were all these other people doing? And and then it's just totally ignored with, you know, Kiki and 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 Mikel just traveling down the river looking for Shiro and finding all these annoying kids. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So I think as far as an epilogue goes is kind of disappointing. So that's my my thought on that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Next on our list, uh, this this is uh, sure to elicit some interesting comments. Uh, Shinji Takamatsu, director of Gundam X. Oh, oh man. Uh, he also is directing right now School Rumble.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. And
0: previously, uh, he's got some of his robot creds. Uh, he was a producer on various Brave shows, and he directed Brave Police, Jay Decker, and Golden Brave, Goldran, neither of which I have seen. Uh, so thoughts on the direction of Gundam X
1: well where to start um. <laughs> well let's
0: keep it, let's keep it short because we still have a few people to get to we'll talk about X in detail when we do a show on X
1: yeah just a whole different approach uh, using story arcs Within the show, you know, not having just one goal that was brought up in episode one or two and that, you know, you're just going to have to wait till episode 50 to get to. So being able to direct a very much kind of what if scenario with a lot of characters that you didn't hate any of those characters, even even as as evil as the Frost Brothers were, you didn't hate them. It it was a shame that the show was cut short and any chance that they get to have him come back and do uh, a show, I would definitely want to see because I think he just brought a whole different type of direction. With the Gundam kind of franchise, there—I'll
2: try to keep this quick, but um, I think I think he did an outstanding job. He kind of took the um, Takahashi approach, where he told the story in arcs, and you know they're they're all standalone arcs, but eventually they all crescendo to like the major the major plot towards the end. Um, you know, like Takahashi did in Votoms. he did the same thing where at the beginning it was more about Garad, and then later on you find out more about the other characters. Eventually we get the Jamil, and you know then that that the whole main plot kicks in. I I I, I love Dex. Watching it uh, again is very cinematical. The most to me, it's still the most cinematical of all the Gundam series. Just the way he just did from, from the split screens to the confrontations, you know, just just different things in that show I, I love it for. It's very appealing in not only the story but the actual look of the show. On top of that, if he ever had a chance to come back, A, I'd like to see him take X and t- turn it into movies and i also like mm-hmm. to see him continue the story. This is one of the few alternate Gundam shows that I would like to see a continuation to the story, quite honestly, because it was cut short in his prime. I'd like to see the ending that he intended and just see how that played out. Uh,
0: personally, I really enjoyed 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 the show. I think it has some of the best choreographed battles in the show. Uh, I like the the approach of using story arcs. A lot of people complain about the the plot being meandering at the beginning, but what they don't get is that given it's an apocalyptic world, there's not going to be a big bad evil organization to fight at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. The big bad evil organizations appear in the middle. It makes perfect sense, and all of these seemingly separate story arcs all. You know, build together and they come together at the end, so I you know, enjoy that approach. I also like that they managed to take a show with a very dark setting, but still have it be light hearted, not in a slapstick sort of stupid way like the first half of ZZ, but in a way that was entertaining without crossing a line of just into silliness serious when the situation needed so i would love to see him do some kind of like maybe uh oh, yeah x prequel or some kind of continuation or something like so mentioned like compilation movies with some sort of new yeah. ending very true or even if he came back and did a totally different series in a totally different universe that'd be, be fine with that too fine for me too mm-hmm. yeah uh this next one should be very brief uh yasunao aoki <laughs> directed endless waltz he also directed um wow Interestingly, he picked up for Inuyasha after Masashi Akita left, and he was a co-director on the Pat Labor mm. TV series. So, thoughts on Endless Waltz? Mm,
2: not too much. I-, I liked Endless Waltz, and I thought it was well-directed. I mean, granted, there's not enough there to really um, to get a feel for um, what he did, but, you know, for the most part, I, I didn't think he did a bad job. I just... I guess it's one of those who were just middle ground <laughs> it's hey, yeah. he he did he did a competent job it, it it he was just picking up the torch from where they left off on wings so it's was, it wasn't much to it I'd have to say it just he ended it well though I can say he ended it a lot better than the show itself ended uh
1: I don't have a problem with the pat labor t v show and um you know some of the stuff in anyniosh was all right but I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on Endless Waltz. I mean, I know probably some of it mainly just comes from the writing, but I don't know. It just in a lot of ways it seemed like you just sat there and you watched something for about two hours and you really it really didn't come to any conclusion. I mean they just ended up you know, everything just had a, a nice little battle and, and even that battle at the end, I don't know, it just just kinda of made you kind of feel a little empty and the, the whole thing with um It could have been more, huh? Little um the little girl that was trey's daughter and <laughs> I mean no, like it's just like
0: You mean Zabi. I mean uh Mari Mea renata Kush- Yeah. Mari Mea.
1: I mean they just kinda like threw all these things together and you know they didn't have i mean i didn't want them to go too much into detail stuff but i mean it made no sense like where she came from or what the whole deal with that was and you know you had the the one guy the older guy that was kind of manipulating the whole things behind the scenes with her and i mean i don't know it's just it, it was just more of a fan service to sell retread. new models for the uh, <laughs> endless walls models more than awesome. anything I think.
0: Personally, I, I liked the approach he took to Wing. Uh, definitely had more compelling battles than Wing because one of my problems with Wing was that unless it was battles between named characters, they were totally uninteresting. It was just a lot of blasting and shooting. And uh, even then in Wing, there were very few aces. So most of it was blasting and shooting. Of grunts. I mean, it's like the only few aces you ever had were people like Zex. Or, yeah, that's true. And <laughs> even then, it's like, how many times can you have them fight this guy? So, that, I, I think he did a good job of having uh, better choreographed and, and better done fight sequences yeah. than the TV show did. Also, um, Sort of more simplified in that there wasn't as much of the uh, sort of pretentious philosophy that was in the TV show going on and on and on about pacifism. So I, I think that that approach worked better. Yeah. Now that's true. This next one we'll have to uh, control ourselves on <laughs> and and uh, keep our keep our uh, thoughts in check so we don't go over time. And that would be uh, Mitsuo Fukuda, director of Gundam Seed, director of Destiny. Uh, previously worked on. Uh, Dendo and Cyber Formula GPX. So global comments <laughs> global comments on uh seed mm. and Destiny's directorial style. Who who wants to kick this one off? Who we, wants
2: to begin? Yeah. I think we said plenty in the actual episode where we talked about what was wrong with Seed, but um he, he he's a talented director. He just I just don't think Gundam is his element. I just don't think um I think he should have he should do something that's a bit more a bit less restrictive yeah. when it comes to what he can and cannot do. Um, I just, that's, that's pretty much my running opinion of him. Granted, he's doing another, he's doing a movie in Seed, um, in the Seed universe again. So I, I guess I can, I look forward to that and see if he actually changes
1: his step. But for the most part, I'm expecting more of the same. Gundam Seed, uh, I like it. Um, I think it's a pretty good show, but it, it did kind of drag for a little bit. And, you know, the whole useless things of flashbacks was just used a little bit too much. Uh, Destiny, it... <sighs> That's like the Jekyll of Hyde of Gundam because it, it was it was definitely going a pretty good route up until around Berlin. And then, you know, pretty much after Break the World and then you know the the battles after that up around um Berlin, it just didn't it didn't make any sense. Introducing characters and that you think are important and killing them off right away and then taking like very minor characters and making them the focus of, of shows and making them the focus of the universe just didn't it didn't it didn't go right with me. Yeah. So and I mean just and then just kind of having these w TF type of moments, especially at the end of people surviving and this and that. It just, uh, I don't know.
0: Uh, for me, uh, the flashbacks, too many of them. It's very lazy technique and and way to kill time. I uh, could do without them. Uh, clip episodes, same thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of his problems is is uh, as a director is establishing a pace because C started off. Very, very slowly for like the first 30 episodes and then sped up and got a lot better. Uh, Destiny, on the other hand, for the first 12 episodes or so, really fast-paced, you know, good tension, good everything. And then it just slows down so massively and doesn't really pick up again until around Berlin. And then after that, it kind of drops off again. And then finally you have this final battle that's slapped in in the last two episodes. So personally... From what I've seen and heard about his other work, I think he's just not suited for Gundam, and he'd be better off on, yeah. say, a Super Robot show, and he could probably do much better there. So that's my Yeah, because I've seen, I've be
1: seen sure. parts of Dundall, and, and I've seen uh, Cyber Formula, and those are pretty enjoyable shows. So I just, yeah, I agree with you. I just think that he needs something where it's a little bit more, a little bit more lighthearted than something with, like, a Gundam.
0: So, uh, sticking to the Seed Universe, our next one is Susumu Nishizawa, who directed Stargazer, also directed Hikaru no Go and Maps. So, comments on the directing of Stargazer. Just too
1: short. I like the first two sections of it the most, and I don't know, it's like you said when we talked about it before, the third episode, they just get back to the old mindless alliance people and, um, you know, mindless zaft, and I, I don't know. It's just – it. I, I saw flashes there, but it was just way too short to really see. I mean, I, I would like to maybe see what he could do if he was given the opportunity to make it, like, maybe a, a six-episode OVA, but, I mean, other than that, I don't really have too much to say there.
0: <laughs> Sobro? I, I,
2: I honestly think he's kind of been hindered by his – um. By the by, the material that he has to present, um, Stargazer for the fact that you know it was so short, Hikaru no Go, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, he had he pretty much the show. Reading the manga, it's exactly like the show. He did present it very well, the action scenes and how the how the things played out in that series. He presented it very well in animation, but for the most part, you know he was very tied down to the manga. So there's really nothing he could do do new to really um to kind of show off his own style. Um, Maps, I haven't seen it. So I really can't comment on that. But um, from the things I have seen, um, it'd be nice to see something that, you know, if he could do a continuation of Stargazer that's a bit longer, I'd look forward to seeing it, mm-hmm. given how much promise Stargazer has. So. Yeah.
0: Personally, I think he did a good job, given what he had to work with. The first episode of Stargazer was great and really established um, a yeah. sort of tense atmosphere and was kind of eerily evocative of new orleans post hurricane katrina and also the uh, the asian tsunami mm-hmm. had a really good atmosphere in the second episode also getting into the whole thing of like uh, sven's you know like brainwashing and training and you know some of that sort of stuff and then obviously i don't blame his for it but the story kind of falls apart at the end because of the limits of time and you know the animation drops off, and there's all these problems. But I can't really hold that against him, given how short it is. So neither do I. Uh, I'd like to see yeah. that guy do something else. I definitely think he could. He could do some good work with another Gundam project in the future, whether it's Seed or not. Yeah. Which brings us to finally our last.
1: Actually, I, I hold on one second before you do that. I, um, I'd actually like to see him do the Seed movie. I think that would be better. You know what? I think right that that you. would have been a that that would be a nice test and a, and a nice way of. You know, get, giving him the ability to you know continue on.
0: Would have been nice, but unfortunately ain't gonna happen. Yeah,
1: I know, oh, okay. I know.
0: But. <laughs> so, last but not least, our most recent Gundam director, Seiji Mitsushima, who of course is doing 00 and uh, is famous for Fullmetal Alchemist and uh, Die Guard, so... Pretty much. Uh, what can we say... That we haven't already said in uh, our double O reviews, but bro. kick it off.
2: But keep it brief. I'll keep it brief. <laughs> I, I I've enjoyed all three shows that he's done that, that we have listed here,
0: and no mention of Saji, please. I won't yes. mention him, Dag, on it.
2: But no, um, I, I was I was I enjoyed Dargar thoroughly, which was the first show I saw from him, and I, mm. I thought it was just a unique spin on 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 a super robot show of all things with real robot elements. And then um, Alchemist, I watched um, where he, this is a case where although based on the manga, it wasn't. Held down by the constraints of you know by, by it wasn't held down by much. They were able to do whatever they wanted with the story, just as long as they kept like the end. I guess whatever um, Square Enix wanted, and they did a great job. I I enjoyed Alchemist thoroughly. Um, and watching Double O, he brought that same intensity that was in Alchemist and some of the uh, kind of the, the subtle nuances that he introduced in Die Guard, He brought that all to Double Zero, and it ended up being a, a great piece of work. And I I look forward to season two when it comes out. I I can't wait to see what he has planned next for us. Um
1: basically i think when it comes to gundam double o uh, he took all all of what he did well in both alchemist and Daigar and uh, incorporated it into double o um i think i don't know what the constraints were when it came to double o it seems like they were basically given um just the gundam name and a few little small requirements by sunrise but it seems like other than that um, he was able to work with the writers and it seems like in this one, the writers and the direction were kind of hand in hand, uh, as opposed to some of these other directors where it's like, it seems like they were given like the storyline or the script, and then they were just supposed to make something out of it. Um, but uh, I, I think he's, I think he's very good director. I think he's done a, a fine job in kind of uh, re-energizing the Gundam franchise and uh, taking it to a different, a different area. And uh, it's almost like. The Gun- Gundam, the origin, but not in UC. Very true. Because you've kind of re- reinvented everything with it. So, but we still have one more season to go. So I can't go too too crazy because <laughs> you never know. I could be all proven wrong.
2: Oh, no, don't
1: say no, that. No, I'm just saying it is anime. It is it is anime. I always
0: wrong and ill informed. Yes, I think he's done a good job in the genres that he's explored, mixing things up because Guard definitely wasn't a typical super robot show. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist when it diverged, for, even at the beginning, but uh, you know when it diverged from the manga, it wasn't your typical shonen action show, and Double O definitely has not been your typical mecha or Gundam show. So I like that he mixes things up and doesn't expect to be done. And I say that in the face of of Graham getting a a char mask, but yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah.
2: But still, it's been unconventional most of the way.
0: For the last part of this segment, I just want to touch on directors that we'd like to see work on some Gundam. So I'm just going to quickly run through mine and then you guys go through yours. Uh, Definitely on my top of my list, someone who I would love to see work on Gundam, uh Ryosuke Takahashi. Oh yeah. He did write one episode of 0083. Uh, as we know, he's the man behind Votomes and Gasaraki and mm-hmm. Laser and all these other great shows, so I would love to see his sort of approach cuz he does sort of a more stripped down, real approach and his characters are very different from, you know, your usual Gundam protagonists. So I would love to see his his approach. Um, I'd also like to see work on Gundam Kenji Kamiyama he directed both seasons of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex as well as Solid State Society so I think he's done some outstanding Outstanding work, work and I would just like to see how he tackles in a sort of cyberpunk way Gundam. Sort of along the same lines, uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, he directed Akira, which to a certain extent I think is quite overrated, but, uh, you know, it's compaction of a massive, massive manga, so I'd kind of like to see in his style how he'd do in a cyberpunk, future noir kind of thing, uh, a Gundam series. And last on my list, although I'm sure I could think of a whole bunch of other people, um, gonna wrap it up, uh, Ties in perfectly what we were talking about earlier in the episode, and that's Goro Taniguchi, who directed Code Geass and Planets. I think he kind of likes Seiji Mitsushima. He mixes up things and uh, doesn't do what you'd expect. Planets, very interesting series. Code Geass, of course, as we discussed, um, takes a lot of different turns from what you'd expect from... make a show and takes some of the old cliches and standards and Mm -hmm. changes them and presents them in a new way so that's
2: and he went from um, my list his last show the last show that he did was gun sword which is like more of a super robot show and then he transitions into uh he transitions into code gears and um you know it's 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 kind of got that it's kind of got that mix of real robot super robot but at the same time it's you know, it's different. He's he's able to put new spins on 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 the on the robot genre, and I I I like him for it. I think he's a really great director too.
0: I see you've got quite a list here, Adam. So uh, why don't you tell us briefly, very briefly, about this ginormous list of directors you have? Yeah. J-
2: well, um, oh I, I have um, I have seven. Um, first one is satoshi nishimura and he did um he, he directed Trigun and hajime no ippo hmm. um, Trigun. well i mean he he had to use the manga as a source but then he had to kind of divert on his own i think um it was i think they were given the kind of limitations on the animation i i i i, I commend him on his ability to ramp up the action and keep it going and to you know he's very action oriented but, but, but to guess.
1: me that's one of those other shows like chris said about akira it's one of those things that a little bit I think overrated. Well well
2: Noibo definitely isn't. Yeah. No, I, I thought that again, was beautifully I, I thought that was beautifully directed. Um, Masayuki Kojima who directed um, Master Keaton and Monster, another um Yay. Madhouse director. And um that guy he's, he has a real flair for suspense and he can also he can also um display things in the real world. And he has a kind of uh, natural sense of direction. I, I, I like his direction a lot. Uh, granted, he his work is based on manga that's written by other people, but still he's able to present it very well. Um, Tatsuo Sato, who directed Nadesco and Stelvia, and I haven't seen Stelvia, but N- if Nadesco's any indication, if you can have a Gundam show that's a bit, light, a bit lighter-hearted, like, say, G Gundam, where, you know... G Gundam had, you know, had this air of drama, but for the most part it wasn't, say, nearly as tense as Double um, O. But still, you know, they have kind of a, a quirky... Gundam show. I wouldn't mind seeing that at least once, maybe an OVA or a movie. <laughs> um, I, one, of the, one of my oddball picks, and I would love to see this, is to see Bruce Tim, the director of Batman the Animated Series, Justice League and Batman Beyond, a, amongst other DC projects, do a Gundam series. It could be short, it could be long, but I'd love to see his art style and to see an American take on a Gundam show, and I'd love to see him give it a shot. He, uh, he's able to take the DC characters and make them... Down to earth, make them you know real world, and actually put a a nice a, a better spin than even the movies have been able to do. Definitely, and for that for that that's commendable, and I, I love the guy for it. Um, Kazuyoshi Katayama, who did Appleseed and Argento Soma, I've seen the Appleseed. Uh, he did not only the Appleseed OVA, but the movies as well. Um, and they, i i didn't like the ova much but i did like the movies and argento soma which i own and i think is a great show uh he can take dark characters and, and a bad situation and still you know give you a glimmer of hope um you know at it when, when the show reaches its end and i just think he has a really unique way of telling the story and spinning it out um one of my favorites in the who did cowboy bebop and samurai shampoo and my among others i mean for Christ's sakes, the man did bebop and shampoo, and he would probably make the hippest Gundam show ever made. It's fine by me. When when it came down to it, great music. You already know it's gonna it's gonna be the jam, and it would probably be it'd probably be the hypest Gundam show there ever was and I hope to see him do one since he's worked for Sunrise before.
1: Big band version of Gundam.
2: Yeah hey man, big band version, something like that man, something unique and bad, bad yeah, ass. And then last but not least, um, my man Yoshitomo Yonetani and he directed Gal Gygar and Brigadoon. Now, I never saw Brigadoon but I definitely seen bits of Gal Gygar. and if he can do what he did with Gal Gadgar to a Gundam show, yeah. case closed. He gets my vote,
1: too.
0: Oh, man. I will endorse that.
1: Yeah, I will definitely endorse that one.
2: No doubt, but that's my list. And Neo, any any picks off the top I, of your head?
1: Well, I, I mean, you guys pretty much covered everybody I would think of. Um, I would like to see um, – the one that I never thought of, though, was Katsuhiro Otomo. I oh. thought that that would be a very interesting take, especially since he did Steam Boy. Yeah. And uh, that would be kind of an interesting way to see how he can incorporate – a futuristic type of show, but uh, Watanabe, um, yeah, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because you've seen what he's done with uh, things like Samurai Champloo and Cowboy Bebop. Uh, The only thing is some of the Gundam Nazis would probably be turned turned sideways with that because uh, you definitely would have to do something with um, uh, alternate century on that aspect. Those Gundam Nazis can get a bright slap. Yeah. Maybe two. But um oh god I to be honest um I agree with all your picks I mean I don't really know too too much of some of the other shows that I personally like these directors I don't think would <laughs> would would work out pretty well in <laughs> any type of Gundam series it, and well no Michael, Michael Bay, Bay. that would be live action Gundam and he can only be the special effects director cuz he's awesome but uh, no <laughs> Hey Transformers is good and so is Bad Boys too genius you can't say anything bad about bad boys too yes i can <laughs> 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 never knew this
0: we already talked about michael bay before so
1: never knew never knew the uh, causeway to south beach was so long <laughs> but um but, that's f- but yeah um yeah i i mean probably the top would be Yoatani and Watanabe. um big fan of gal Gaigar, so i mean um Seeing another super robot form of Gundam would be great, and having you know somebody like that doing it and would
2: Takahashi be, too, man. Yeah, um, you definitely
1: would have throughout. to. You definitely would have to strip down everything though, because yeah, um, You know that would definitely be more of a uh, of an alternate century. So probably so. Yeah, I
0: think that about uh, does it. So that's our look. The director's chair of uh, yes Gundam Works. So. We'll be back in a minute to wrap it up on yet another show-killing episode. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ.
2: Bella Another one of these Gun. damn kids jumped in front of my car!
0: Next on Gundam!
1: You know, it made sense that when they went back up at the space... They got, as much as I love the gun tank, they got rid of them uh, because it didn't make any sense to have a tracked vehicle in weightlessness. Hey, you watch what you say about nah, gun tank. Well, I do love gun tank, but <laughs> it's, it's, pretty. it's good on the moon or something like that. But to assault a, you know, a space carrier or something like that, it doesn't make any sense.
2: It's pretty hilarious because um, my friend and I were watching the last four episodes the other night and he was just laughing at the fact that gun tank was being used. It's like, why the hell is that there? What what, yeah. what the hell is that doing there? It's like, well it's gun tank, man. You got you gotta give him a pass, man. He was a um a forerunner yeah. of his day. Gun damn next episode, who will survive?
0: Gun. Damn, B. I've been set up.
2: You've been listening to the show that hits you with more counters than Home Depot. You guessed it, Gundam at MAHQ. We're wrapping up episode 12 where we discussed our review of the events of the unconventional mecha anime Code Geass, Lelouch of the Rebellion. In the second segment, we keep the Geass ball rolling, delving into our predictions about the second season as well as the upcoming debut of the first season on Adult Swim. Set your DVRs and TiVos for Saturday night, April 26th at 1.30 in the a.m. and support the Rebellion gang. In the final segment, we switch gears back to Gundam. This time discussing the directors other than Yoshiyuki Tomino that have helmed the Gundam series, plus our own draft picks on those we would like to see produce future series in the franchise. As usual, we'd like to thank the listeners for the support, and I'd also like to hit my man P. Munoz with the mad birthday wishes. For, thanks for checking us, and I hope that this one was dope as yet. For those who want to send in feedback or um comments or whatnot, either email them to GundamMAHQ at gmail.com or register the forums at mechatalk.net. There you'll find the official Gundam at M.A.H.Q. MAHQ forum, and uh, you guys got anything else to
0: add?
1: Uh, just go, just keep going to the forums, keep giving us some topic suggestions, and we like hearing your input. And that's about it on my aspect.
0: What what he said?
2: That's all there is. So then um, you've been listening to Gundam at MAHQ, and check us out next time when we talk about Gundam Double We have the um the halftime show, and we'll see you later. Later,
1: later. Zero hour is approaching. Are you ready for the rebellion? Yeah. But MHQ is a Shinjuku station in the MHQ production.
0: Hidden deployment. There ain't no way to snatch it without the mark feeling it. Which just means I'm gonna have to give whimsical a call on this Vicky.